where were we? So your first uh, GP's GP Mini 2001 Invasion Block. You had like an uh, interesting situation with at your local store. Uh, some older kids introduce you to Magic Online, and then uh, you just go off. Like it was, it was the younger kids that got me into it. But yeah, it was the the tech savvy babies, you know. Yeah. Um, nothing has changed. No, nothing at all. <laughs> I, I was a boomer at eighteen. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But yeah, they they tell me that Magic Online exists, and so I I get on that immediately, and my 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 like home internet situation is like precarious at best, right? Because back then it's like dial up if you're super fancy maybe you have dsl i don't know if you know what any of this stuff means oh yeah okay uh so we had we had dial up and i would get ragged on maybe rightfully so for like holding up the the phone line or whatever so that is yeah yeah kind of when your match right yeah um so i i had to adjust my sleep schedule maybe more than normal to ensure that I was like gaming for the eight hours at night when people were asleep. And it's like, look, when, when is a good time? Like no one reasonable is going to call after 10 PM. Right. So I can just start playing moto at 10 PM. And then I'll just, and then you'll just do that until like two or three in the morning. Oh no. Way, way later than that. Way Way, later. later. Okay, cool. And, and that was it. Uh, I was, I was just grinding. I was, I was addicted. I loved it. Um, Local store and certainly like the PTQ seasons stuff had mostly been constructed and I'd, I'd like dabbled in limited, but I was clearly not very good. That's kind of similar to now where you just don't really have a lot of incentives to actually learn it, you know, mm-hmm. and magic online was different because I didn't have the cash up front to just like buy, you know, a $300 deck or anything. So I was like, well, yeah, I like magic. I guess I'll do this limited thing. And so I joined my first draft and I lost to a misclick and Sick. um borrowed a, a draft set from one of my friends and then won that draft, paid back their draft set and never put a dime on magic online again. Incredible. Uh so how how did you queue for Houston in O2? Uh okay, so did you, do you think that that is my first pro tour? That was the first one I could find Ooh, that you had played. Yeah, in. it's not. The first one was a team pro tour in Boston. It was the one before. Okay, sick. Which, Tell me about this. Yeah, which is, you know, probably why it's not coming up, right? Because you, if you're searching like first and last name, it's probably only showing last name or whatever. But that's probably it. Yeah. Uh, won a team PTQ in Lincoln, Nebraska. And. It was full Odyssey draft, and when I started Magic Online, it was triple Odyssey. So at this point, I am like a draft expert because I've just been basically like drafting yeah. Odyssey block eight hours a day. Occasionally, you can like see the matrix at this point. Yes, exactly. Um, and I don't know. There's certain aspects, right, where it's like team sealed is kind of weird, and then. It cuts to the finals, and it's a Team Rochester draft. Like, these are not things that Magic Online necessarily teaches you to do, but me and and my teammates were able to wing it to the point where we get to win. has some definitely, like, pretty exciting moments and whatnot, and 
it's it's great, you know, feel on top of the world after winning this thing, right? So we go to Boston, play in this pro tour, make day two, and uh, day two is entirely Team Rochester, and now we're uh, doing Team Rochester draft against, like, actual professionals, people who have done this more than once, right. and we get clowned, absolutely yeah. clowned, <laughs> do not win a match, and, like, deservedly so. Um, but as, as far as like seeing the matrix type of stuff, I, I remember, um, being able to like understand matchups to the point where we're, we're doing team Roch against Efro's team. And like, it's really hard to communicate anything back then. This was like no talking between your teammates too, which right. I kind of prefer, you know, like don't bother me while I'm trying to, yeah, trying to same. play magic, whatever. But as far as like matchup stuff is concerned, um, Efro's blue black, I'm blue white. For whatever reason, that is just how they designed formats back then, where it's like blue white could never beat blue black in a million years because blue black had creatures with activated abilities, and blue white had like nothing that could ever touch they, them. Right? They've got like a pacifism that doesn't work. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, stupefying or like destroy an attacker or something. Yeah, exactly. Stupefying touch was like you know this weirdo bizarre uncommon that maybe shut down like one of their things but even then they're just loaded up on like card advantage and removal and you can never stick anything and yeah all all the cards that you just mentioned are just notoriously bad against like their blue black control deck whatever but i remember being like all right for pack three i need like two battle screechers and a commander commander isha to like even remotely have a chance in the matchup the way that like our decks are configured currently like that is that is how much i understood as far as like what the yeah. matchups looked like, right? So then I got those cards. I think I also got a bonus Commander Isha, and I I still got pretty handily destroyed. Yeah. You know, uh, there's something that, like, I, I miss. I understand why they don't do blocks anymore, but that feeling of, like, some of these cards I've been drafting with for, like, a calendar year, and just, like, I know. I know everything there is to know about this format. I know what, I know all the cards. I know how good all the relative cards are. I know how good, like this card in pack one is relative to like this card in pack three. There's something I miss about that. Yeah. I, I just, I, I see the pros and cons of it. Like, Oh, definitely. Like as, as a very entrenched player, it feels good to not play a limited format for three months, maybe sometimes even like two months and spend a lot of time on it. And then just like, Oh, it's all useless now because the new set is coming out. But yeah. at the same time you play with, like the same silly grizzly bear for like a calendar year and limited and like that gets old pretty quickly. So for sure. For sure. Uh, so, okay. So that's team PT. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Houston, uh, Houston's extended. It is extended. I had the third worst deck in that tournament, but I qualified for that tournament at the Sunday PTQ that they ran at pro tour Boston. That's the fucking way to go. So we, we, the Sunday pro tour just, so we're clear. That's the one that like only the pros can play in. Uh, I mean, back then it was the, the pro tours were open. Okay. So uh, this this was I think eight rounds of Swiss. It could have only been seven, but I think it was eight. I think it was pretty big. All right, but the fact that it's on Sunday, like it's for the people that washed out of the PT, basically. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. And then what are you playing in the PTQ? Uh, I played 
blue black braids but it was it was mono black splashing shadow mage infiltrator ether burst and then like some envelops in the sideboard or whatever well spe- specifically one envelope i know i had a miser's envelope all right sick uh and then uh houston rolls around we can talk like as much or as little about that event as you remember um but uh i want to start talking about uh some of your limited gp top eights sure because this is again like, magic online paying dividends yeah so the first one's uh 2003 uh what's this what's the actual gp kansas city uh, kansas city it's rochester is the top eight it's mirrored in draft yep uh i have your first pick from this draft oh god uh your c3 you first pick a predator's strike yeah I think this is like one in a green plus three plus three. And trample. And trample. Big deal. So my understanding of Mirrodin Draft, keep in mind I've never played this format, is that red-green is kind of nuts because it's the two colors with artifact destruction at common. And you've also got like the biggest stuff because you're red-green. That is... Is that like accurate? That is a very rudimentary understanding of the format, but that was also like week one of the set being released and that's where i was on the format okay uh you know fast forward uh, a month later and i'm not touching red or green cards right but okay yeah uh i was very very comfortable with red and green in that format and that was primarily where i ended up a lot of times in my magic online drafts in preparation for that event and then i ended up playing white a lot uh in one of the drafts and i think in my sealed deck also so i was i was like pretty comfortable in white also but like the blue and black cards were very strange to me and i didn't know how to draft them they all looked really really bad and i had yet to like play against someone or even you know have someone show me a draft deck that looked playable because it was just like okay yeah you have your quote-unquote affinity deck with your somber hover guard and you worked really hard and now you have like a three mana three two like that's still not even that good but when you dive a little deeper and actually experiment with the format you figure out ways to like actually make those cards really really powerful and i i just did not see the way to to really make that happen right and i think i think if memory serves that gp is won by blue or black or both uh uh, I want to say it's. I want to say Derosa won that one. I believe. I believe Ant won that one, and he drafted red green on my left. Which, I, that, that, See, that's, I, that's a whole other my, story. But my memory was that Nate Heiss was the other red green drafter, and he killed you in the first round. Correct. Yeah, he had two spike shot goblins, and I maybe had one way to kill one of them. Okay. I think I had zero, but regardless. Um, fun tournament, uh, pretty stacked top eight also considering, um, yeah, I think like Ben S is in that top eight or something like that. Yeah. Kibler, uh, yeah. my, my future roommate, Michael Crum was also in that top eight. We shared our first Grand Prix top eight together, which was awesome. That's sick. And yeah. Um, so this is just like a magic online top eight basically. Uh, Kind of. I, like, like, I don't know how much like Kibler was playing Magic Online. I think Antonino but for was, you, was kind like, of... At, at, your, at your point in your like, playing career, the edge that you have over everybody else is you play like eight hours of Moto Limited every day. Yes. 
absolutely. Uh, like, and I, that converted. I yeah, a year earlier, it's like okay, maybe I have some potential or whatever, but I'm definitely lacking just monumental, fundamental understandings on things. And then, after a year of just playing Magic Online, not as like work or whatever, but because I just genuinely loved it. Like it, it was just like yeah. the only thing I wanted to do. I I start learning these things, and a lot of it just comes at the hands of like being taught by people who are better than me. You know, just like getting my ass kicked. Yeah. Um, like so at, at that point, I think if you put the cards in my hands, I could probably play them pretty well. I could draft pretty well, given the knowledge that I had. Like I said, like I'm sure that there were plenty of times where I could have just had like absurd blue black decks, but I just didn't know how to draft it right. But like you know, yeah. Given given where I was, I think I was okay at that. But like, if you if you asked me to understand or, or like explain stuff or write an article or whatever, I did not have like that foundational right. knowledge yet. This is just like a, a volume. Like you're you're playing so much. You played with the cards. You yeah you you've got it basically. But like in in terms of how to apply this kind of stuff in general, maybe not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it carries over to future formats and stuff, but I, I definitely could have been doing things a lot better back then. You know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, suddenly I'm, you know, pro tour top eight worthy or whatever. This is another weird case where, like, I feel like my magic arc aligns with yours a little bit. I was not this good, but I remember, like, for me, uh, like <laughs> you a might year have had a life. Playing, well, <laughs> I, I definitely did the, like, hours of, hours of moto thing uh, for a while. Uh, when I was like broke and again, like you could only play limited. Um, and I remember the first format where I felt like untouchable was like, um, yeah, it was Oath of the Gatewatch. The, yeah, so like the actual terrible Eldrazi bringing set. Yeah, I literally couldn't lose in that set. Uh, I don't know what it was. Like again, it was like just cumulative. I was playing like eight, this is back when like eight four was still like the prime moto draft. Like before they introduced like draft leagues. Um, and just like, yeah, that feeling of like, oh, I, I just know, uh, like, oh, I opened this random rare and I know exactly the deck that I have to draft now. That is normally not a deck you can play. Like, I remember if you got Eldrazi Displacer, you could play like blue, white colorless, Yeah, which was not a deck in that format. Yeah. Again, uh, seeing the matrix type of shit, like yeah. you are so deep in it, you know exactly what's going on and what you're capable of. Another format where, like, you started off that format playing red-green, and then you figured out the other decks. Uh, and then everybody else caught up. So, very funny. Uh, so, okay. Uh, you get on the PT. Uh, you have your first GP Top 8. I think your first, like, decent run at a PT was San Diego, 2004. You go, like, X5. Oh, yeah. Another limited one. Um this okay this i i kind of miss these pro tours but i'm also pretty glad that they're gone so (laughs) these were uh five eight player drafts which cut to a top eight draft and i think they were rightfully done in by the fact that just like no one cared about them from a coverage standpoint and yeah i don't know they're, they're just like a lot of people who have one two limited pro tours in a short amount of time that people just like don't care about you know or just like they they forget that that ever happens because just no one paid attention but um 
these tournaments were also kind of weird where like if you made they they couldn't run like two drafts on one day and three drafts on another day right like how do you split five drafts over two days right it's like well yeah you have to actually split them and it's not like you could in the middle of draft two like cut to day two and just like start eliminating people from the pot (laughs) or whatever so uh i think it was like you had to go four and two and then you're like in in day two quote unquote um but then they start draft three and you and you play round one of like day two on day one so okay you know your your friends bust out they peace out to dinner you're still playing in the pro tour it's it's just like all kinds of nonsense (laughs) you know that's that's wild so uh i i start oh two and then win out i i think i finished five and two Uh, I had like your overall record as as X five. Yeah, I mean at, I, at the event. Yeah, I I think I went I went one two. That that's the other thing too is that, you know, one bad draft just derails your entire tournament. And out of five drafts, like that's yeah. that's a lot of chances for you to to kind of muck it up. Yeah. You know, so it's super hard to go two one five times, and that's already not good enough. Right, not even close. Yeah, and uh, yeah. okay, so. I, I was working a job at this point. Like, okay, so I, I worked from when I was, like, 15 to, like, 18. And then uh, I was already, like, majorly depressed and, like, quit my job and uh, was basically, like, not showing up to, you know, my last six months of high school or whatever. But, like, that did coincide perfectly with, like, me finding out that Magic Online existed. So I don't want to yeah. say that, like, <laughs> Magic Online caused me to become a, a neat or anything like i was already there and magic online was just the the fuel but like i like kind of recovered and i think magic was a, a big part of that like just my overall mental health was a lot better and i was like working again and you know trying to do something with my life but uh this this pro tour i i requested the time off for and like made sure to dot my eyes and cross my t's you know to make sure that i got the time off because like i cared about the job and i cared about the pro tour and then they they just tried to like screw me over really yeah they're, they're just like uh yeah you you know you're you're on the schedule and like you can either you know come into work or quit and i was like okay i quit like <laughs> screw yeah. you guys uh so go to this pro tour and this pro tour is what allowed me to hit the gravy train like become basically like what was gold where it's like you're qualified for the okay. pro tours of the next year or whatever and it was like i had to i think exactly x and five that pro tour yeah one of my questions was going to be like when did that start so it was you're basically your first good like first like pretty fucking good pt finish yeah got you there yep for sure and i mean obviously at that time i, I don't know how many play, pro pro tours i played at that point but like it, i did not have good results and that also coincided with me basically being able to qualify at will. So it's like, okay, I have some amount of talent, but I'm blowing it in these events and it can't just be like variants or whatever. Like I'm not going to blame it on that. Like I am doing something wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I had like a bunch of stuff that I was messing up that I didn't figure out until like a decade later, basically. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I also had, like, for me in college, uh, Hearthstone comes out, and I immediately drop out of college because I'm playing Hearthstone all day. And like you said, like, I can't necessarily say that that's, like, one-to-one, uh, but it did happen to happen at the same time. Uh, and then 
like yeah a few years later i'm working and like okay i can do decent at an event that i care about but like i'm not all not like you know i I think i'm still not really like where i want to be as a player but you're still figuring it out at like this point yeah and i don't know i think i was very good at learning how to learn but in some instances like you just kind of like need to be able to find the material that can teach you or the person that can teach you. And there was, there was just like nothing there, you know, it's like none of the the like strategy articles I read could explain like why maybe the deck selection process for a pro tour should be different or like even where you should begin. Right. It was just like, Oh yeah, I played this deck cause it, it beats everything or whatever they say as they write their tournament report about how they went three and five or whatever. So yeah, you've kind of gotten to like the point that you can get on your own. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I I can definitely just like beat up on the randos in my, you know, four state radius of PTQs that I'm able to drive to or whatever, but I'm I'm making mistakes elsewhere. Right. So your first uh constructed top 8. Uh this is GP mini. Uh it's block. Uh you played gifts. Bang, banger uh, of a deck this this deck so this is pretty close to gadiel slifer's pt winning deck uh there's some differences i want to talk to you about uh when the pt happened the pt happened like three months before this gp yeah so, so the formats had time to like evolve a little bit yep and saviors was not out yet oh okay cool um i think your big difference compared to the other versions of gifts in this top eight is you had main deck maloku and you had uh, K- Kodama the North Tree in your main deck also, uh, which used to be kind of like the standard for gifts, but then kind of stopped, and now it was back. Uh, do you remember like particularly why those two cards? Maloku, if people don't know, it's like a 5-mana 2-4 flying, and you can bounce a land and make a 1-1. One, one. And then Kodama is like a 5-3 Shroud Trample or something? 6-4. Six, 6-4. Four. Six, four yeah. For... How much? Five, six? Two GGG, five total. Okay. So um, a lot of this, this, this is kind of what I was doing well as far as like beating up on the locals was I always respected the lowest common denominator, which in this case was like the mono white aggro decks. Yeah, mono white, uh, like a Cory Dust Drinker, Hand of whatever yeah. white deck. Jite also. Jite is a, a, yeah, a big Gita. one and a big reason for... Uh, playing a lot of the the cards that I did, um, so like which there were like four mono white decks in the top eight. So. Yeah, and yeah. I lost to one of them in top eight, um, which will forever haunt me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, th- that was basically a result of knowing that at some point they are gonna play Hakori, which is basically like Winter Orb attached to a two two, and it just meant that you couldn't just mess around a whole lot like trying to do like gifts hanakami like nonsense and if i was going to spend five mana on a thing it better be a thing that actually like impacted the board and did stuff so like six four trample shroud or whatever blocks their three threes doesn't uh die to gt counters um and if you play it and they play hakori well then it's just it's off to the races like you don't actually care you know like now you're the beatdown, right and yeah, there there was just stuff like that where 
Um, I'm, I'm playing like a lot more anti aggro cards, I think, than most people were. And I definitely, I lost, to uh, Herbert in the Swiss who was playing gifts, like still splashing the white and main deck cranial extraction, just like all the yeah. kind of like archaic stuff that happens to be, you know, mostly pretty good against you. And sometimes the beatdown stuff actually worked against them too. You know, you like, you could temple them out with an ink eyes or whatever, but yeah, uh, I, th- I think that, Overall, I did a pretty good job of metagaming for that tournament, and there were some, you know, outside pro players playing, like, weird stuff, but for the most part, I thought locals would be on, like, White Weenie or, like, Agra, uh, like, Mono Black Ogre type of stuff, and mm-hmm. I played against primarily Agro decks, and then I think I, I lost yeah. I lost to Mark in a Gifts Mirror, I played against like a Bant mid-range deck once and I lost to mono black once, I think. But like other than that, it was just all aggro decks. Yeah, I think the only like weird stuff going on, people are starting to figure out like the blue control decks with like threads of disloyalty uh, and like hinder, uh, Kaiga, that kind of stuff. But other than that, yeah, it's mostly gifts, white weenie. Yeah, there, I, I did play against a heartbeat deck. Um, I think round three also. Oh so, yeah, there's, heartbeat. There's that yeah, that, that that lost in the finals of that PT, I think. It did. So that was a round. Yeah. Um, so at this point, you're like on the tour. You have a bunch of limited top eights at this point. Uh, like, I think from, we're not going to jump too far, but from 2004, 2003 to 2005, you have like five limited top eights or four or five. I was I was a limited player before I was a constructed player. Yeah, and I th- I think people regarded me as such, and there there is a stretch there where I I averaged about a limited GP top eight per year. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the stretch we're we're talking about. When did you? So I know you start writing for SCG in two thousand eight, and I want to get to that. Yep. But is there any writing going on prior to that point? Yeah, but I don't want to talk about it because I it hasn't been scrubbed from the internet. <laughs> okay word because like i found like oh here's your magnivore list from like 2007 here's like your your take possession shadow mage infiltrator deck but i didn't find the article attached so ooh, is is infiltrator take possession is that block because if it's not block that's pretty embarrassing that's like a teachings deck uh it's, i want to say it's it's got to be blocked then yeah 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 that's okay though. um that's well that's acceptable we'll allow that but yeah i did i did dabble <laughs> in writing and it was i i didn't care about you know teaching or anything uh or like I, I didn't want my information to be bad necessarily but i definitely did not take it seriously it was just like oh you're gonna pay me a 100 bucks like hell yeah i'll do this all right so we've talked about how like up till this point you kind of needed somebody to like give you that extra push to get you to be where you're you can like hang with pt players when did the friendship with Chapin start? Because I know he's, you know, Midwest area at this time. Yeah, I mean, I I was living in Minnesota until like 2005. And then after that, I moved to Indianapolis, uh, was there for about three years. During that time, I wasn't playing as much Magic because we had this like, you know, underground poker room thing that we were doing. Yeah, uh, I've heard some of those stories. They're good stories. They 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 are they are stories. Um, but yeah, like the going to like the random PTQs and like beating up on some local kids. Like I still did that occasionally, and uh, 
the occasional like limited GP where I would show up to and like pretty easily make top eight. Like that still happened. And I, yeah. I would work like six days a week dealing poker. And then all my off time was still just spent playing magic online just cause I loved it. You know, it wasn't like, I'm right. still trying to make it on the pro tour or whatever. Cause at this point I'm, I'm just making like more money than I've ever seen in my entire life dealing poker. Right. So, and it's like, okay, I still love magic and everything, but this is the first time I have money in my life. I'm going to go for that. Yeah, basically. exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I, I meet Chapin on one of those random trips where, you know, a bunch of people get together and decide that, you know, so, some people want to go to a Grand Prix in Toronto. And for whatever reason, we decide it's like best to drive, even though it's like 11 hours from Indy or whatever, but like, <laughs> hey, that's okay because we can drive up to Michigan first and spend like five days in Heezy's dorm room, like testing for the event or something. <laughs> right. And like there was also, I think the two headed giant pro tour coming up. So like people were kind of like getting together to test for that. And I was like, I just wanted no part of that. Like me and, and my roommate, Mike Crum, I think could have played in that pro tour because um, they had like a weird level invite where it's like you needed maybe like, six combined levels total or something and like we had that but it was just like nah we would probably rather die than actually play in that tournament so we just stayed home instead um but yeah make make that drive uh i i own a car uh i bought a car with my my poker dealing money but it was a lemon it was real bad uh i got i got hoodwinked um lesson learned but i was like okay i can i can technically drive this but like I only for feel, eleven hours. Yeah, but I only I only feel comfortable like driving it to Michigan, you know. And he's just like, it's fine. We'll get my mom's van. And it's like, have you asked her? And he's like, no, I'll just steal it. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, cool. So drive drive up to Michigan, stay there for the week. At some point, uh, Chapin comes over and is uh, you know, like playing block with us. I don't think he went to the GP because I don't think he could leave the country, but. Um, that is, that is where I met him, but I don't think that like any sort of like friendship or anything got sparked up. It was more so just like, we played a few games and chatted against each other and that was about it. And then, uh, Heezy's mom rightfully would not give Heezy the van because why would you give yeah. Heezy a car? Uh, <laughs> so then they're just like, oh, I guess you have to drive. And like, you know, my car literally cannot go over 65. Like it just won't do that. And at some point on the way back, this is like in winter ish. Uh, my window falls down like part way and won't roll back up. So Rich Hone is just getting blasted with cold air <laughs> the entire ride home. And then as the ride gets further and further, like the window slides down like another two inches and then like another two inches. And he's just getting like full on destroyed by, by the time we get back. So good times. Amazing. So I guess like what gets you into writing for Star City in like early 2008? Well, uh, a little bit before this, the police had rightfully shut down our, our poker operation. Um, yeah. Certainly there were people who were getting paid off to leave us alone. But, uh, you know, there is something to do with like an election cycle and then like. Could only go on for so long. Yeah. 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 Do you. The, the week before, I I distinctly remember saying something to the effect of, like, 
what, like our money tree is ever going to burn down? <laughs> and then we got raided the next week. Right. And I don't think I ever brought that up to any, I was just like too embarrassed that I said that I didn't mention that for another like 10 years or whatever. Like I was just hoping that like no one yeah. remembered me saying that as if it was my fault, you know? Yeah. But you jinxed it, but whatever. So now, uh, I, I was a good little poor kid and had saved up like scrimped and saved like every dime I made, you know, it was like, I bought mm-hmm. a laptop, a car and like nothing else like Mountain Dew and tombstones. That was it. Yeah. Uh, so I had a little over like 10 K, uh, 10 to 15 K to, to live off of until I like found something else or until, uh, I relied on like Gabe walls to start up some new money-making scheme that I would get myself involved in. Right. And, right. you know, fast forward like a year and a half later or whatever. And it's like my, my money's gone. Cause I've just been living on that and not really producing. Like, again, I'm back to playing, uh, you know, a lot of magic online. Cause I really have nothing else to do. And I, I don't know. I, I went, I started taking that like a little bit more seriously and just like hard targeting the events that were good payouts and would allow me to cash out like a little bit. So I'm making a little bit playing magic online every month. Um, Cause I, I just knew at some point, like I was going to run out of money and would like need something. So I was like, well, if, I, if I'm making like 500 bucks a month from moto, then that's, that'll be helpful. Sure. Um, but yeah, all, all my money's gone going to some tournament at this point, you know, again, it's, maybe a couple of years later after this uh, GP in Toronto where I met Chapin initially. And at, at this point I'm like hanging out with him a little bit more, talking to him a little bit more about decks and stuff. And he's trying to get me to write. And I, you know, don't think that I am a particularly good writer. I am very much like uneducated at this point, like barely graduated high school because I didn't show up the majority of my senior year. Certainly did not go to college due to being very, very poor. So, uh, yeah, I just have like no confidence that anyone would want to read any of the stuff that I would have to say. So I'm not about to like pitch myself to star city and be like, yo, you should pay me. Cause in, in my mind, it would just be disingenuous. It'd be lying, you know? Right. And Chapin works on me for maybe like six months. Um, and, uh, eventually gets me to do it. But like one, one of the things that he did was, uh, like, oh, like, can I interview you for this article? Because, like, he had built this deck, I'd been playing it a bunch, and had updated it past where he had because he had kind of, like, stopped playing, I think, because it was, like, the PTQ yeah. season, but he was already qualified, and I wasn't. So, like, I was iterating week to week, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I want to just, like, get your thoughts on the changes or whatever. And it was basically, I wrote his entire article. This is, like, the Next Level Blue era, I want to say? Correct, Yes. So yeah. once he pointed that out to me, like, hey, actually, uh, this is this thing that I did to manipulate you. But, like, that's <laughs> that's kind of the thing about Chapin. Like, yeah, maybe he's manipulative, but it's, like, good faith manipulation. Like, a lot of it is he's doing it for your benefit. Um, He just pointed out, like, hey, you basically wrote this entire article. Like, it hit really well. It had really positive reception. A lot of the stuff that you said was correct. Like, there is definitely a market for you to provide information like this, you know? I, I've read that Next Level Blue article. It's a sick article. See, I, I don't I don't remember the specifics. Like, I remember, you know, the formatting for it or whatever. But, like, I don't... I can't speak to whether I, I don't or not remember, it was good, like, but... 
I don't remember a lot of the a lot of the specifics, but there will just be like the the format, like you said, is like IMs between you and Shape. Yes. Yeah. And he'll he'll like ask you a question, and you'll be like, "Well, no, obviously it's this," and it's just like, "Okay." Yeah. This guy better know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, and it's just like three paragraphs long of stuff that I am highly confident about because again, playing a ton and like winning a ton, so. So you start writing for Star City, and then basically, almost immediately, you win GP Denver. Okay. Uh, um. So I want to I want to talk about a couple things about this this Denver deck. Yeah. So you win playing five color control. There's like the makeshift mannequin my Moldrifter deck. Another block format. My my second constructed top eight, both in block formats. Yeah, and your big tech, which I understand is comes from Chapin, was Rune Halo. Yes. Um. God, there's so so many similarities. Where it's like I'm playing this, you know, mid range control deck, mostly beating up on people playing like aggro decks. Kipkin. Yeah. Whereas other people are playing the control decks and like not respecting them and losing to them and whatever. Anyway, um, at this point I'm living in Iowa. Uh, I, I did like a six month stint or so in Ames, Iowa, and I was set to play five color before we got there. And then I, I remember we got there on Friday night and it's, it's sometimes a blessing and sometimes, uh, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is like run into Chapin, like the Friday night before deck submission is due or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And in, in this time it was one that paid off, but it was also one that I was like skeptical of because uh, I think we had Ruined Halo, and uh, Chapin had also had Ruined Halo, which like not a lot of people did. But he also had Archon of Justice, and he had Una's Grace. Yeah, I I think honestly he might have like talked me out of playing a second Una's Grace. <laughs> All right, <laughs> which is honestly probably for the best. But uh, you know, Ch- Chapin and I work well together. Like we we align in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways we keep each other in check from our bad habits because we both have a lot of bad habits, you know? So he's like, yo, you should cut that second Una's grace and also play this Archon card. And I'm like, I don't like, you know, big dopey creature with no ETB or whatever. And he's like, yes, but you need it to, you know, be a little bit more solidified against modern red and it's good against these situations here and there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you should add a land. And he's like, no. And I'm like, dude, please add a land, you know, <laughs> go, go up well, to 27 for the love of God. Well, the archons, that's an interesting one because this is a lesson that I think you carry with you in your deck building moving forward, which is like, sometimes you just got to have two random fucking five drops in your deck. What about the gifts deck? I already had that with like the Molokus yeah. and the North trees, you know, it's like exactly some of these are, are lessons that you have to learn more than once because like, if you ask me in 2004 about the gifts deck, it's like, yeah, sometimes you, you jam North tree, they jam Hokora and you're just racing them and that's fine. It, it gives you a way to play a different game plan. So you're not locked into what Heezy was trying to do, for example, in that top eight, where it's like, I literally have to kill everything that you play and if I don't, I'm just going to lose because his only threat was like a Miogen of Knight's Reach or whatever. Yeah. Well, and you kind of came up in the sort of tap out control era. Yeah. And I and hated so... it. I hated it every step <laughs> of the way. <laughs> but I mean, it's clearly it worked for you. Like this is your first GP win. It, d- uh, you it did. You crushed aggro the whole way. It did. I'm good at playing those decks. It doesn't mean I like playing them. Right. Or like, you know, fundamentally, 
I don't think that they're sound. You know, it's like, oh, play a bunch of like counter spells and then five mana sorceries. It's like, how does that work? You know, it, like there are definitely a lot of instances where it doesn't and you get punished, but flexibility is key in a lot of situations too. Yeah. So if you have more stuff about this GP, you can, but basically uh, this solidifies your writing stuff with Star City. You you have a regular column. You're writing one step ahead. Uh and you're kind of you're kind of back. Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. Um it is it is weird how much you can I don't know. It's like, oh, you know, you're you're broke and then you want a GP and I was just like I I felt like more broke after winning that <laughs> tournament. Uh yeah. for a few different reasons, you know? It's just life is life is like weird, right? It's like, oh yeah, you're like sort of gainfully employed and you just won $4,000, but <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Well, I mean, we can we can talk about it because from like 2009 to 2010, you're you're not all the way back. Like, you at one point you stop writing for Star City and you're writing for like CFB. Um, you like quit Magic at one point. Um, you had like a good run day one at Worlds that like didn't convert in day two. Um, uh, which which Worlds was that? I, I want to say you were like undefeated day one. I'm trying to remember the oh, actual. Oh, uh, I was uh five one. This is 2009 yeah. white black tokens. Yeah, I can I can tell yeah. you exactly like where I messed up in those drafts too. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so it, it basically came down to life stuff, and also like I am just like a arrogant, petulant child at this point too. So that certainly factors into a lot of the decisions I make and whatnot. But right. uh, you know, spent some time in Iowa. Eventually, like basically, I it didn't seem like the poker room stuff was coming back. So I was just like looking to do something different. And it seemed like that would be a good fit for me. And, uh, it was for a little bit and then it wasn't. So I was like, you know, crap, got to get out of here. Where do I go? Go back to Indy for a little bit. And I'm just like, I guess I'd, I'll just get it like a normie job. Um, and I, I crashed on the, uh, couch of Cedric Phillips dorm for a week while yeah. I, put in applications at like pizza places and yeah. Yeah. At some point go to, go to a tournament and uh, my, you know, former roommate Gabe, who was the one who was running the poker rooms was there and he was just like, you know, why are you here? I thought you were living in Iowa or whatever. So I told him my situation, he's just like, dude, just move back in. Like, don't be stupid. Don't sleep on Cedric's couch or whatever. I was like, okay, fine. Cause like he knew that I would never ask him. Right. You know, so he's just like, come on, man, what are we doing here? Right. Like y- you need this. Um, I-, I will take like a couple extra hundred bucks in rent and Cedric certainly doesn't want you on his couch, which was also true. So, yeah, but also like you have developed enough friendships in the community at this point where like somebody will offer this thing to you without you asking, which is maybe not like something you should be shooting for, but it is like a. And like obviously, it's a great moment of generosity and everything. I I will but never like, ask if if Cedric kicked me out, I would have slept in my car before I asked. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, like you, this is not this did not happen on accident. No, no, of course like, not. You, you said yourself, like, okay, maybe you're a bit of a petulant child at this point. You're still like figuring yourself out, but like obviously, people like you and want to see you succeed, and that is being cashed in a little bit. Yeah, and I, dude, I hate that. I, 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 <laughs> I, I make sure to pay my debts, 
and to in a lot of cases overpay and i i never come knocking to collect my debts you know i i, I just want ideally i would like everyone involved in a situation like that to be happy but if that can't be the resolution i'm i certainly do not want someone to be unhappy with me you know right anyway so well, i mean i think you have shown that like you have that level of generosity to give to other people as well so uh yeah i might not call it generosity i think it's something else but that's fine well i i mean we don't have to get too too deep into it <laughs> uh <laughs> anyway i'm back i'm back in indie uh writing playing magic at some point i don't really remember the catalyst for this but i end up going to missouri to live with another friend of mine again it seemed like it would be a good situation a good fit whatever but like i i don't remember what was happening in indie because like i think i think gabe was still there so like i don't know now i'm actually like kind of curious about this like what the hell happened but whatever <laughs> i get the hell out of there i go to missouri for a bit that lasts a little bit longer than iowa but uh another excellent series of stories um as to how and why that ended but um at some point i'm like i gotta get out of here um and thinking about where I'm going to go. And I knew that uh, Gabe had started up another poker operation this time in Billings, Montana. All right. I've been to Billings. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was like U S nationals into a GP in Boston. And then I was heading back basically to like collect my stuff and figure out where I'm going. And I think it was like the Sunday at the airport. I called Gabe and I was like, Hey, how's, how's Montana? Like, is it good? Is, is it popping? Is, is there something for me here? And he's like, yeah. So obviously, so obviously he will say that to you. Uh, I, I don't think that he was lying, you know? Uh, so sure. a, a very popular phrase that I coined a around this time for Gabe was, I believe that you believe that, which got shortened to Intel. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was so true. It was like, you know, you're trying to argue with this person and he's being like so hard headed and you know that <laughs> like. Jerry, I think I think you've told me this. Yeah. I believe that you believe that. Okay. Yeah. I, I <laughs> sometimes it, it's still applicable, right? It, like you're, you're yeah. just talking to someone who is so steadfast and you know that they're wrong. So either they're gaslighting you, you know, lying to you on purpose or, or something, or they actually believe it. And in Gabe's case, like it was, it was always, I think that people should do this a lot, especially with their acquaintances and friends is just like, assume uh, that, people have like good intentions and are operating in good faith. Yeah. If it's someone that you know and trust, like I think it actually goes a long way to start from that place and then work back. Yeah. Not only does it stop it from escalating, but it's also probably the truth. And then given that it's yeah. the truth that helped me figure out that like, Oh, he's not lying to me. It is that he actually believes it, which is like a whole other thing that we'll have to yeah, deal yeah. with. Right. But like, <laughs> at least I kind of know why we're talking past each other now. Right. Well, it gets to the actual disagreement, which is that you see things fundamentally differently and you can either figure that part out or not, but that is the crux of it. It's not that this person is, you know, being malicious towards you right. or something. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, I distinctly remember the first time that I said, 
I believe that you believe that. And he, like, for the first time, I think, in his life, he opened his mouth to say something. Because, like, always quick with, like, the retort and the debate. And then shut his shut his mouth. And then just kind of, like, stopped in his tracks. And kind of, like, opened his mouth again. And then, like, thought about it again. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, you actually can't debate me when I say that. Because you know that I'm right. And you know that you might be wrong. But you've just chosen to buy into this so wholeheartedly for whatever reason you know uh and it was I, it was incredible so i specifically remember the the ibdub is that what you said ibtub the, i i believe that ib-tub. you believe i specifically i think i remember the conversation where you ibtubbed me which is uh at, in phoenix uh i'm talking with you and majors and i'm trying to make the argument that um part of the reason i'm doing this podcast is that like you're a deck tuner fundamentally like you have lots of cool tuning decisions and i love that shit i love execution i love like this deck shouldn't fundamentally work but i found the right card for the right spot and now it's good um and you have a lot of decks like that and i was basically trying to make that argument but the framing i used was like there's no such thing as good cards and bad cards oh okay (laughs) and you're talking to me and you're like i I remember you bringing this up on twitter again trying to drag me a little bit no i was saying i was wrong and you were obviously right and i just didn't realize that at the time that's what i was trying to say when i brought that up on twitter uh uh but the, that was the argument that i was fundamentally like trying to make was like uh you know sometimes mono blue aggro is unplayable and sometimes um you know there's like a one mana instant that exists suddenly and it's a good deck um right but it doesn't mean that the other 56 cards were bad yeah beforehand right the, yeah and, yeah, so that that was the argument I was trying to make, but I think I was like again being I I can be a little hard headed at times, uh, and I was so like tight on this framing that I think the way I, the way I was trying to communicate that to you it did not come across that way. <laughs> and you were like, "Well, I believe that you believe that there are no no such things good and bad cards," but <laughs> you know, Liam, I'm I'm here to tell you that might not exactly be the case. Yeah, Espe- uh, especially like you know majors uh you know it being in the room but like not very confrontational but like you know future i i dare i say prolific like wizards employee you know it's just like he very much fundamentally understands that too you know so yeah gabe <laughs> a lot of things i could say about gabe um i i will say that on the aggregate it had like a dramatically uh, positive impact on my life up to and including the fact that he he dealt me sort of like conflict resolution in maybe the the worst possible way which is like trial by fire you know it's like yeah there are only so many ways that you can deal with someone who is like very hard-headed and and whatnot um and it just it took me years until i finally figured it out or whatever well uh, at least one that worked for him personally but in, in those situations, it's like, yeah, I can tell that this is going nowhere and I, I kind of understand the reason and I could, you know, write you an article. You could write me an article. You know, we could exchange theses, theses, whatever, and this could go on or I could just imtub you and we could just be done. <laughs> yeah. We could just be done. Yeah. I mean, it's important to have like a, a de-escalation mechanism like that in a conversation. 
where it's like, yeah, we, we could hammer this out, but it would cause like so much pain and suffering and effort that like sometimes you need you need like a button that you can press. Yeah. To be like, okay, we'll come back to this when we've thought about it a little bit more. And, I, you know, there, there are so many things that I want to do content wise. And one of them certainly is on the topic of just communication in general and just thinking about that situation, I might not even been that present in the moment to think about this, but one of the things to always keep in mind is like, what is each person's goals here? You know, like yeah. I'm not trying to convince you. Um, I, I, I merely like you, you stated a thing. I disagreed, but I, I don't particularly care if you agree with me or not, or if you change your mind, you know? So like, I, I don't know yeah. if your thing was then like, I have to defend myself or I have to convince Jerry because I think that I'm right or whatever, you know, but it's like in, in those instances, you just lose the, the forest from the trees. A lot of the time where like two people just like keep talking at each other, you know, with no clear yeah. understanding of why they're doing it. This is something that has come up in like my personal relationships a lot where like I have this problem, not necessarily, it's not even necessarily a problem. But I have this thing about how I communicate where I will be 100% bought into my framing of a situation. And somebody could be trying to make a point and I'll say, well, I see the point you're trying to make, but I don't agree with like the way you framed this point. So like I can't accept your point. And it just leads to like, like you said, endless conversations, like talking around the actual issue. Yeah. Um, and so I've found that, like, sometimes the best thing I have to do is be like, okay, uh, I I agree, but I don't know if I would put it that way. And then I have to de-escalate and then come back to the conversation. Later. Yeah, you, you just uh, silently ib-tub them as you walk away or whatever. <laughs> I, so, sometimes you got to do that. Uh, you know, and it works. Yeah. Honestly. I, I, I think that's a good example of understanding what your goal is in the situation. And it's like, is your goal to be entrenched in this for another two hours? No. Well then, okay. I I will just make it appear as though I've taken the L and get out of here. All right. So getting, getting back on track a little bit, uh, you know, we could talk about the spreading seas deck. Uh, but what I want to, what I want to talk about is DDT. Okay. So, so spreading seas world, Worlds was uh, the last tournament I was qualified for, and I was bought into the idea that Montana Poker Rooms would work. So I was just like, yeah, I'm just done with Magic. I'm not even going to like try and split my time doing this anymore. So like, I quit writing, quit Magic. Yeah. Uh, Montana fell apart. Uh, I moved again. Um, ended up back in Minnesota and was like, crap, I need to make money. And knew that I could uh, probably start writing again, either for CFE or SCG. And so I was like, well, I gotta, you know, get back into things. Found out there was a PTQ the next day, looked at what was going on and extended and just built DDT. So this deck, uh, uh, Dark Depths was a deck and extended at this point. It was, there was, there was a pro tour that I played in and I played Dark Depths in that pro tour about six months earlier. Um, yeah, yeah. Where people were, Um, were just all in on the combo. Yeah, they they were just all the way in. It's like Hex Mage has like just been printed, I think, basically. It's like the onus for this. Correct. Yep. Um So you're you you won a Moto PTQ with DDT. 
Uh, and your big thing was you played the Thopter Foundry sort of the beak combo in there with Muddle the Mixture to put together whichever like half you are missing of whichever of your AB combos, either like Hex Mage Depths or Thopter Sword. Uh, and you played like kind of a soft blue black control deck that could just like press several I win the game buttons. Yeah, also had like Thoughtseize, Chrome Mox, Star Confidant, uh, just yeah. so many angles of attack. Yeah, uh, your your basic thing with this deck was like you were adding another dimension to the Dark Depths deck, which was very like a straight line linear deck. Yeah. Uh, and the Thopter Foundry plan was like actually good against the decks in the format. Like I was looking at the other decks people played and they played like Zoo or they played Depths uh, or like some various other stuff where like the 1-1s, one ones, one one Flyers were like actually pretty good. Yeah, it, I mean... <laughs> It's it's like how Maloku was good. Like you you read off the text of Maloku, but it's just it does not encapsulate how impossible that sort of thing was to deal with back then. But now it's yeah. it's all of it is just pretty laughable. But yeah, around that, well, it's just like slow, gradual advantage over time. Yeah, you make like three one one flyers, and people are just like, oh god, like I I literally lose. I just lose the game on well, the spot or whatever. I, I mean, you say like, oh, people don't understand anymore, but like, what is wedding announcement if not just like kind of one of these cards? Yeah, you know? but I mean, wedding announcement is a lot more, and it's never the thing that like beats them straight up. It's just, yeah. it's it's the brainstorm in the middle or whatever. Yeah, there's a lot of cards that are, like, you play them and, like, the game just kind of continues, but you have, like, this cascading advantage. Um, and that's kind of, like, what the, the Thopter combo was. Uh, now it's a lot more, like, okay, I'm going to play this. I'm going to win the game, like, if I untap with it. Or, like, yeah, you're going to play a lot of, like, smoothing to, like, get you to that point. Yeah. And uh, so to just, uh, you know, be technically correct for history's sake like thopter foundry sort of the meek was already a thing that people yes, were doing that was its own deck in this yeah. well yeah it was its own deck but like people had also played it in some degree in like the sideboards of these decks and then okay um lucas blohan i think played one of each in his main deck at worlds that year which was like the last you know tournament that okay. i played in for a while so like my my thing is that if I'm able to see like all the things that are possible, I can definitely filter that down and figure out what the best possible things are. But until like, if no one had ever done that before, I don't know that I ever would have built this deck, but it was a matter of like seeing this as potentially a viable sidestepping option and realizing that it coming out of the sideboard was not going to be good enough. And that there was enough leeway for you to like merge the two concepts like wholesale. Yeah, even though, like, hypothetically, like, Thopter Sword is never, like, you wouldn't think it would be good in the games where, like, Hex Mage Depths are good and vice versa, but, like, they cover for each other yes. in, like, a really crucial way. Yep. Um, and, like, I think one of your skills as a deck builder, like you said, is looking at, like, here's the format, here are the problems, how do I cover for this deck's problems, basically. Yeah, because Hex Mage Dark Depths was doing something completely obscene it you're you're threatening a potential turn one kill which uh well you know turn turn one pseudo kill right like mox mox hex mage depths make make a 2020 which i did in one of my rounds in the ptq that i won which like i could not stop laughing um yeah but 
there there are baked in answers to that sort of thing because a it doesn't always happen on turn one so people have time to develop a little bit and maybe like work up to their bant charm or whatever nonsense that they yeah. have to get rid of your thing or there are just like a lot of decks that play path to exile too and yeah if you shove all in on this combo and you get pathed it's really difficult to muster any sort of anything after that really um yeah so what do you do against a deck that has like four paths and then maybe has like some oblivion rings or whatever or if they're like the blue white control decks they have doctor found restore to the meat to then eventually just like block your 2020 forever you know like what the hell are you supposed to do Yeah, and the having your own Thopter Sword was like, okay, this is going to be good in the places where I can't, like, I can't make my combo any better to account for these loss scenarios, but I can present you with, like, a different idea. Yeah, I mean, we, we tried garbage, like, Crucible of Worlds to, like, always have a Dark Depths, and then you only, need, yeah. you know, just, like, it's such nonsense. So, yeah. this... This plan fit so much better, and the deck was already playing some amount of like thirst for knowledge to sift through like extra chrome boxes, and you played uh, eight legendary lands, you know. So it's just like, okay, well now yeah. we have more artifacts to discard of this thing. Like that's not that bad. Yeah. Um. So this this deck blew up extended. Uh, the GP Oakland like pretty shortly after this, uh, that got second place. Uh, your chick. I think with DDT. Yeah. Uh, I, and I punted against him in round nine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and like you're, you were like getting interviewed before the tournament, like, Hey, this is your deck basically. Uh, and it was pretty quick. Like, not only are you going to play this deck, but like, how are you going to adapt to beat this deck? And like the whole format shifted around it. Like by Oakland, that had already happened. Yeah. Um, uh, and as I tended to do back then, I made a really a lot of really bad decisions as far as like, oh, how are you going to adapt to this or whatever. I think you had uh, like Sphinx of Dwar Isle in your sideboard. Sure did at that tournament. Sure did. Jace the Mind Sculptor uh, had just been printed, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to Jace probably. Uh, actually, we're going to talk about Cobblade eventually, so we definitely will. Uh. So. Uh, talk to me about the SCG Invitational win. Um, uh, this is with uh, Valakit, right? Yeah, I I never know where you're where you're gonna jump around to, so I'm like, oh, now I have to think about how I would <laughs> describe this event. Um, so well, okay, I can I can start with a with a little bit. Uh, your sideboard plan for this deck was Koth the Hammer. Where did that come from? Um me not being smart um okay so <laughs> this is actually sort of a turning point i think because 2004 me would never register green red ramp um yeah. at least like a, a not fun version and this one was very very not fun um but i think that i correctly identified that people had a hard time against it just inherently and that also people didn't want to respect it and maybe also didn't know how and all of, yeah. all of that kind of proved to be true and then you know I, I'm certainly thinking about like the sideboard 
and what I want to do in specific matchups and stuff. And I think that for blue-white control specifically, it was a matter of, you know, I have these eight cards I want to take out, so I need eight cards to bring in. Like, I was certainly cognizant of those sorts of things, but I, I tried, like, so many different things, and, like, nothing seemed to go well, but the one thing that did seem to prove dividends was making sure that you had a variety of threats placed on your curve so you're not like glutted on sixes and you're actually uh you know putting pressure on them on each individual turn that you can you know so i think that makes sense. i think that's probably why like cough is in there and then i think we topped off at like guy's revenge and stuff yeah uh this event is i think like your first like a big standard event you did well in well yes but there weren't big standard events back then yeah like standard was a format that was showcased at like nationals and worlds and was never a ptq format you know um mm-hmm. so yeah there like there there weren't grand prix in standard for a very very long time so yeah there, there just weren't like a lot of events but like certainly the, the star city events those taking off and them being primarily standard and legacy um I don't, I don't know if they started doing standard GPs before that. I don't think they did. I think standard GPs came after. Is that right? It's all like block and extended, like for the most part. Yeah, yeah. But like, when was the first standard Grand Prix? You know, like they had standard team constructed in like 2006 or something, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or, no, there there was the occasional one because like the Milwaukee GP, the second one I played in, that one was standard, but it was very much a, like one standard GP in NA every two years or something, you know? Right. It, it was kind of like the way for a while they treated like legacy GPs. Yeah, basically. And, you know, they, they knew that it was the format that people played it like FNM and stuff. They just like, didn't want it to be a premier magic format. And I, I kind of think for good reason, because there's, there's like some data that suggests like 2006 standard would have just been completely busted. But just like yeah. no one knew because there weren't any events and there wasn't any data to back that up, but they had the magic online data. Yeah. Well, you're you're about to go on like a crazy tear in standard. Um you know, I think you played like Vengevine for a little while, but uh I, I splashed we'll around. Start. I can't help myself. Yeah. Um let's let's talk about Cobbly. Yeah. So your your first uh like big so you you played uh like the the spirits version the PT right? I did. That was not. Uh, there were there were extenuating circumstances. Um, well, okay. John Finkel played the spirits version at the PT, so don't beat yourself up too bad. No, okay. So so what happened was, I show up to the pro tour. I'm affiliated with an SCG team. I think there's another uh, SCG sorry. team. Hmm? Sorry. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Dark Ascension. Yep. I'm thinking of Delphur. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Cuz yeah. these these go like one right into the other. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought Cobblade. Yeah, I thought we were just sk- skipping ahead to that one. No, 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 no. Let's let's talk Cobblade. So, okay. cuz I want to talk about um so No, let me finish the story. Let me finish the story. Okay. okay. So, right. uh I I get to Hawaii and uh at some point like running to Sam Black, he's like you know, kind of undecided on his deck choice or whatever. He's like, I have this spirits Delver list. I really like, but, 
uh, can't figure out how to add black to the mana base for lingering souls. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like just off the top of my head, I was like, you're playing 21 lands, right? And he's like, yeah. And I just write them down a mana base where it's like nine black sources, relatively painless. Like you have to play some evolving wilds or whatever. And I was just like, this would be your mana base. Duh. And he's like, oh, I didn't think about like, you know, this combination of things or whatever. And like, that's just what they registered. Yeah. And then, you know, by extension and also like me not having a deck I liked, that's what I ended up playing too. And I thought the deck was awful. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you did well in that PT. Uh, in Dark Ascension, right? Uh, I won't say well. I don't think I made money, did I? Uh, let me see. No, I did. I think I top 50. I top 50 in the queue. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, okay. But sorry, backing up a little bit. Talking, actually, this is uh, still relevant. Adding a little bit of uh, color to your mana base. Yeah. The reason I was able to off the cuff that <laughs> mana base is because, like, I know how to do that, which is not good for me in a lot of instances. Well, it was very successful for you for a while. Yeah, successful uh, and correct are not the same thing. True. Uh, so you are starting to do stuff on like the Star City circuit. I don't know exactly when it starts. Uh, but you play Cobblade, and for a while it's like uh, playing Cobblade with Red for like Sideboard Cunning Spark Mage, and then it's I'm playing... I had some Lightning with, Bolts. Come on now. Yeah, you had some Lightning Bolts, yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'm playing like basically splashing for creeping tar pit and inquisition after that uh but you're you're just killing it uh you have like three four open top eights with with cobblade uh two wins like yeah it should have been like 10 and six yeah uh i mean do you want to talk about like how stupid this deck was um all of your cards were like three for ones all of your cards were probably like a mana cheaper than they should have been. And none of your opponents had any good cards except for maybe primeval Titan was kind of scary, but, uh, Cobblade was, was so scary and also just had like, had mana leak and sort of feast and famine where that just wouldn't even get the job done a lot of the time to the point where it's like, Oh, do I, do I take that gamble? You know? And a lot of people just chose to, like, play Callblade or, like, decks that were bad against Callblade. And it was just a very silly time. It was it was awful. I don't know why any anyone showed up to those tournaments. Yeah, I mean, it, like, I, I wasn't there for it. But, like, you look at the results and it's like, oh, here's, like, the basically all Callblade GP Top 8. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it was not cool. The, the standard format is, like, kind of getting some shine at this point, and the format is all Cobblade. Uh, I think kind of your most interesting contribution to this is actually post-Stoneforge ban um, with the Emiria Angels. That deck was legit good. Was, yeah, uh, like, so... Yeah, I, I had... Uh, Squadron Hawk, a couple of Miri Angels, one Consecrated Sphinx, usually. Uh, yeah. Some Jace... Consecrated Sphinx was like your, your card and Cobblade. Which is funny, <laughs> right? Because I hate, I hate the mid-range dopey <laughs> tap-out thing or whatever, but like, there, there are just times where it's like, you play these games and it's like, you need a stopper, you know? I just, I... Yeah. Day of Judgment or whatever is so bad 
in a lot of instances, and like creatures have haste, and also like I can't play full control in a lot of instances, so I need a way to like maybe clock them, turn the corner a little bit. A Myriad Angel play a fetch land, you know, was great for doing that. Consecrated Sphinx was pretty good at being that big thing against uh like green decks mostly, whereas like you play a big thing that is threatening against them in a way that isn't just like attacking their life total or like being good on the battlefield. Yeah. So I, I didn't like it, but it was, it was also like <laughs> light enough in those win conditions where I was still able to play a bunch of like G spellerins and like nonsense, like into the Royal where yeah. it still felt like I had a ton of options on every turn. And, you know, could tap out if I wanted to, but, like, I didn't have to. Meanwhile, other people were just jamming, like, four hero of blade holds and, like, yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Uh, that that was, like, the big the big differential for you compared to other, like, Cobblade lists at this point is you're doing, like, yeah, Consecrated Sphinx and Myriad Angel, and they're, like, four hero blade hold, four blade splicer. Yeah, I, yo, uh, blade splicer, forgot about that one. Uh, I, I don't think I ever lost to that deck. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean... It makes sense, like, when you look at, like, the way the cards bounce off each other and, like, what goes on in the games. I actually have, like, mine and BBD's lists saved because uh, I was going to write an article at some point about that sort of stuff. Um, like, this is, this is, like, how much I believe in the things that I'm saying right now, where it's, like, my deck was absolutely busted, but it didn't look like a broken deck, you know? Like... Yeah, I think what happened was, and I, I don't know what the stats say on like my tournament results or whatever, but I honestly think that post Jace Stoneforge ban, my deck got better because I didn't have to play against mirror matches anymore. I was still doing Cobblady type things, except all the Cobblade people just went to making their deck kind of unplayable. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the like go-to deck at this point was Twin. Yeah, and Twin uh, just straight valid. Twin was hella good, and I tried so hard to beat Twin every week, and it was still usually the deck that knocked me out. Like, I, yeah. I beat it a bunch, too, but it was always like, oh, like, these games were so close, and I guess I just needed to add, like, the 12th card specifically for this matchup <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So, okay, you're you're killing it in SCG with Cobblade. Uh so there's like some other events in here. I think like your first like legacy bug deck shows up here where you played like uh Terravore? Like Delve cards or whatever. Oh, okay. Uh I'm thinking of you're playing like Tombstalker bug. I have like two Tombstalkers. Uh, yeah, with like a bunch of AVs. Yeah, uh, that that's fine. That deck was obviously nonsense. Like that deck was like forty good cards and then I had to sprinkle in whatever I thought kind of like lined up well week to week. Yeah, I think the first time I top eighted with Bug, well, I actually had two Terravors in my deck, and that was in Texas somewhere. Okay, uh, I'm thinking specifically of the SCG pit. You go back to back. You win the the standard open with Cobblade, and then you win the Legacy open with Bug. Yeah, um, I lost round one in standard and round two in Legacy. Also, A little fun fact. All right. Yeah, I see Dallas SG Open Dallas. You have two terror four. That was that was my first like. Oh, I think I think like a bug deck would be kind of good. And I just I went to Bruin, and Terror Four is what I came out with. And then I lost to Affinity in top eight. You got some 
Lawan Cephalid Empress in your sideboard. Yeah, there are there are some cheater kids playing Merfolk in those SCG events. You might remember. Uh, I oh I've lost to that guy in a PBTQ. I'm sorry. In a in a team event. Yeah. Even... Can you imagine playing against uh, cheaters in a team oh event? Oh my god! Yeah, you're like trying to watch your teammates match from across the table. Yeah, they're just like passing cards to each other under the table or whatever. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, nightmare. Uh, you you also like uh, beat some people up with dredge and legacy around this dredge, time. Dredge, dredge was legit good. That was an instance of me just kind of like buckling down and playing the thing that I knew was busted. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, let's, let's get into, to Delver. Um, and I mean, I think the most interesting event is, uh, SCG Nashville that you win, uh, chosen the top eight of that event. Cho beat me in the Swiss. Sick. He sideboarded terribly. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of, like, ma- uh, it's called Mage Blade, uh, on TCG player right now. Uh, good for them bunch of people played this deck um, there were six people in top eight playing basically my 75 I think it was like 73 of 75 yeah and again uh, I think the big difference between your list and like some of the other ones is you got two consecrated sphinx in the sideboard uh, that was part of a bigger package where I actually had a plan against the Valakut decks and yeah you've got like two ghost quarter in your sideboard yeah, because I have a bunch of phantasmal images. Uh, I believe I also played a metamorph, maybe instead of the fourth image. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so a lot of it revolved around. Uh, okay, so it wasn't Valakut at this point. It was uh, Wolf Run Ink Moth. Yeah. So they would Titan uh, through a Cavern of Souls, which you can just do nothing about, and you need an appropriate response to that. And. Uh, you know, Dismember wasn't going to cut it. Vapor Snag's not going to cut it. Your clock's too slow. They have some amount of removal, et cetera, et cetera. So my plan was to just try to sandbag an image, copy their Titan, um, either search up, like, two Ghost Quarters or just, like, have that ramp you to six mana and you get to, you know, play your Consecrated Sphinx or whatever. And, like, in some instances, yep. you just, like, double image them. And, like, yeah, they get to Wolf Run 1, but then they, like, can't really attack you. You know, you get to Ghost Quarter their thing away. Like, they, they just lose. It's such a dramatic tempo loss for them. Like, sometimes it's just, like, image your thing, Vapor Snag your thing, and attack with my Geist or whatever, too. So Yeah, you can just, like, actually run them out of threats, basically. Yeah, you can. But it, it is mostly a, a tempo play. Um, but, yeah, there, there yeah. are definitely some games where it just involved grinding them down to like actual dust like at the end of the game they have like 10 basic lands in play or whatever and that that's it yeah you know i love that obviously but um this this was a a a good tournament example of i don't know like if you put the cards in my hand i will play well um but sometimes i come up with these sideboard plans that are off the wall and end up being bad this one ended up being very very good but there was also like a lot of weirdness in delver mirrors where it's just like uh maybe maybe this predated cavern of souls and things were different post cavern and i started you know doing things correctly as a result of this or whatever but it was like in relation to Geist of St. Traft versus, like, Mana Leak and, like, is Geist actually good in the mirror or, like, is Mana Leak actually good in the mirror? And I, I just remember 
watching my matches after the fact where like I I would have a Geist in my hand and just like navigate the game perfectly regardless of whether or not the Geist was like good or bad. I would find a way to make it be the best that it could possibly be, you know? And kind of coming to that realization where it's just like I, I think my automatic response was like oh i want to like side out geist and like bring in timely reinforcements and like be more controlling and just around this time i was just like i need to stop being so silly and like recognize that i don't have to do like the cute thing i can just do the good thing yeah i think like between a couple of these events you can literally see the point where it's like okay i'm playing moreland hunt and timely reinforcements and then in the next event it's like i have cavern in my deck yeah exactly and it's just like, we, we are not doing that anymore. Like, this is no longer my sideboard plan. Like, I, if you got my sideboard plan two weeks ago, I'm sorry. If you got the updated <laughs> one, like, in Nashville, like, you got an automatic ticket to top eight. You know, and that was it. Yeah. Um, so, that's basically, like, the level up here is, like, let's just stop doing some of this silly stuff and let's just actually kill them. You're also kind of blessed that, like, the best deck is, like, blue tempo given some of the stuff you've already played up to this point 100 percent uh that uh, was definitely a thing i was gonna say at some point is that like oh yeah it looks like you know you're figuring out deck selection or whatever and it's like no i will play the best deck that is also fun for me to play it just so happened that the best deck was that deck and was far and away better than anything else you know which uh i think takes us into pt gate crash yeah um because uh so uh that event uh delver uh not legal jace the mind sculptor not legal uh consecrated sphinx not legal i think i think delver was legal oh sure it, it was legal at that point but people weren't yeah because because geist it. was legal it was just like you don't have ponder probe like any incentive to play low land count and yeah, uh, you don't have gut shot, right? You know, so you uh, do you get your first PT top eight uh, with Jeskai uh, with four Boros Reckoner Blue Tempo. Yeah, this is this is one of the few tournaments that I can point to and just be like, I would probably not have made top eight of this tournament if I was not on a team, and like specifically working with Raptor because I. I built the first versions of this deck. Like, I basically, I didn't know what to do when the format rotated, and then I stumbled into Adam Prozac streaming this blue-white, like, terrible-looking Restoration Angel, my Augur of Bolus deck, but, like, it, it actually looked good and, and looked fun, like, in my wheelhouse, you know? So, like, I made a bunch of changes, played in a Grand Prix, made top eight, um, but, like, lost the stuff like, you know, zombies, right? and had to make a lot of yeah this is this is gp charleston yeah. I think. and so the next weekend was a gp in texas and i was like well if i splash red you know obviously like to be fair these mana bases were not that difficult it was very much like abc or whatever but it's like oh i want to get a third color into my deck or there's like a you know slightly enticing reason for me to add a third color like i'm in um yeah so I'm just like, yeah, I'll splash Pillar of Flame into my blue-white deck or whatever. And I remember I was not planning on going to this tournament, but I was so excited about this deck that I I paid like $600 for a plane ticket last minute to go to this event by myself. And then like 
got 10th. Um, and then the pro tour happened like a couple months later where Jeskai was still good, but the, the stuff that Raptor did to the deck just off the cuff was incredible. Like, I think at, at that point, people had known that Boros Reckoner was going to be good. Uh, and he was just like, yes, obviously we play four. Obviously we are maxing Thoughtscour and playing a Harvest Pyre when I had not seen a single person talk about Harvest Pyre, right? It was all yeah. blasphemous act all the time, right? And he was like, Pillar of Flame doesn't kill anything because there's Flint of Boars and Boros Reckoner. So now we're playing Searing Spear and like, yeah, it sucks because it's a little clunky or whatever, but like, it's just literally the thing that you have to do. You know, like the the deck was done when I showed up basically like Raptor, Raptor just had it locked. And then I think uh, me and Martin Yuza were the only people to play in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, there's another uh, blue red mid range that did somewhat well. I want to say in this event, uh, Roberto Gonzalez got like 16th or something with that. Yep. He, he beat me in day two, pretty late in day two. Uh, he was like, um, the Bl- Blasphemous Act version, and then I lost to uh, Yul Larson in top eight playing a Geist of Saint Draft version. Yep. Um, so I I know the story kind of after this event, but we can tell it a little bit. So this puts you in range for platinum. Yeah, it, you, you like not really like you need to do well in like a bunch of GPS and a PT in in a foolhardy way. It puts me in range of platinum. Um, it's like it, it becomes possible where before it was not possible. I I think there was a tournament after this that kind of put me over the edge to where I was like, okay, I'm gonna book some European GPS or whatever. This might have put me at like 36 and I needed 45 and I was guaranteed like three from the last pro tour of the season. But there was definitely a point where I needed uh, like two extra pro points or something. And I had like three GPs and a PT to pick, pick those up. And this was the closest I had ever gotten to what was originally level eight and like now platinum and was like, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm going to take my shot because I don't know when the hell I'm ever going to top eight a pro tour again. So unfortunately you miss um you do win another invitational um at this point child playing play. uh, child's play yeah playing blue white red and bug i think this is the start of shardless agent uh it, it might be the second one second envy that i played shardless in but this was the thing yeah. that actually made people think it was a real deck yeah uh i remember like when i got into legacy in like 2014 people were still doing this a little bit and at the time, it was Esper Stoneblade was the the kind of deck in this space. Yeah, so Tom Martell won a Legacy GP with a very, very unplayable, wildly unplayable Esper Stoneblade deck. And I remember that. Yeah, people wanted to, like, relive the standard glory days. People love Lingering Souls. It's, like, exactly the type of deck to hook some people and uh, I basically built Shardless to prey on those decks and played Shaheen Sarani in the finals with Tom Martell on commentary, no less. So it was, it was kind of beautiful. Yeah. yeah, like BBD's in that top eight with uh, Deathblade also. So like Their deck was kind of scary because they were a, a little bit more beatdown-y, you know, but yeah. still took them into consideration. I think I, I played BBD like a few times in that matchup, and I think I played him in that top eight also. Yeah. Um, but you, you miss on platinum, uh, you, uh, and at this point, like you had turned down an offer to, to work at wizards. 
Oh. And it kind of turned around. Well, I think I knew that that was a potential career path. And I was a little bit more forward thinking at this point. Like when, when I moved to Roanoke in uh, like 2010 and started working for them like a little bit more closely, like I, I am relatively decent at business and I can function as an adult when it is required, you know, like I, I did have a bunch of like real jobs, um, you know, quote unquote real jobs, whatever, when I was a kid and, uh, was running poker rooms effectively, you know, like as, as a manager, um, you know, like more like work experience than your average, like, yeah, that's basically what I'm getting at. And it's like, I, I can put on my big boy pants and like try and conduct myself in a professional manner, which up until that point, I had not really been doing in the, you know, in terms of like magic interviews and stuff like that. Like I, I definitely did not act like that. Um, but after going to star city and being like, okay, like this is actually a thing that I want to take seriously. Like I, I will start conducting myself in a more adult manner and just, you know, stop being kind of a child and force myself to grow up a little bit, which was good. Um, and then planning for the future a little bit. It's like, what do I want to do? Like, do I want to try and do this magic content stuff for the rest of my life or whatever? Like, I, I don't know. Um, but I knew that working at wizards was definitely within the career pipeline. So I started kind of like, uh, brushing up on that end of the spectrum which also helped me in in a lot of different ways too as far as like how i approached uh preview season for example where you know every magic player's first inclination when they see a new card is it's unplayable but you know cards are not designed to be unplayable and i think the hope generally when a new set comes out is that it impacts standard in a positive way which means that like well some of these cards have to be playable right so you have to look for what situations would lend cards to you know perform positively given like the text box that's on the card right and just be able to predict like some of the changes that are going to happen in the metagame and like okay well maybe this card is unplayable now but Maybe all it takes is, for example, like a blue one mana cheap instant to make 56 other mono blue creatures good or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, started, started thinking about that stuff a lot more and didn't think that I would do it in like the next few years, especially I wasn't like banking on hitting platinum or whatever. But when I didn't hit platinum, I was certainly uh, disillusioned with the notion of like grinding pro magic more. So, I think at that at that point they offered not a job but like to take a test. Yeah, and it sort of ended up uh, uh, working out, not working out. I mean, we can talk as like much or as little as you want about your time at Wizards. Yeah. Uh. Uh, Well, I I think I should note that I failed the the first test. Like they they offered my the position to someone else, and then they asked me uh, again in like six months either to like retake or re-interview I don't remember which one and then they offered it to me then I think even then it was like okay we're, we're at the bottom of the barrel for candidates you know <laughs> <laughs> so you worked on you worked on Tarkir Block a bit I think your like official design credit is just dragons it it, uh, it is even though I left the set halfway through so I didn't actually finish it I I, I really didn't do 
nearly as much work on that set as I did on cons probably, but you know. Yeah. So cons is like, in a lot of ways, like a formative magic block for me. Um, it's like when I really started playing, um, I remember the feeling of like, I played, I told you like I won my first draft that I ever played. And then I won my second one. That was an M15, which is like a very bare bones, like stripped down draft format. There was like a very obvious best deck you could play, which was green, white. Um, and I think both my ones were green, white, you know, cons comes out and I try and draft like a good stuff, two color deck. And I just lose. And I don't know why. Uh, and I look at the decks that do well and they're all like three plus colors. And I'm like, Oh, I need to think about this a little bit more. Magic has like a little bit more to offer than I thought. Um, so I think it's a really interesting block. Like, for a while, my thought was like, oh, I would really love like a return to Tarkir and like a, a reinvestigation of this stuff. I don't know how well it would go these days. There's probably like a reason they haven't done it yet, you know? Um, but it's like a, it's a super cool block. I mean. It is. And there's a, yeah, there's a reason it hooked me. Yeah. Knowing, knowing some of the behind the scenes stuff, like the stuff that Eric Lauer was puppet mastering just like makes it all the more impressive to me too where it's like you know standard rotates um there's these very powerful monocolored devotion decks but like cons is promoting three colors so like how how do we promote that while not promoting devotion necessarily and a lot of that focused on not having a lot of playable two drops and then slowly introducing those over the next few sets to the point where okay Maybe people move away from the powerful three-color stuff, start playing two-color stuff, and then maybe as the last hurrah, they can do something to juice back up three-color decks to get the cons cards uh, a little bit more action uh, before they rotate, which they they did by doing the uh, B for Z lands with the fetches yeah. for a little bit. So it was just... Yeah, like, the, the fetch soup format. Yeah, and, you know, for better or worse or whatever, but it was like the man just planned out like two years worth of content. Right. It's it, and just nailed it. Like yeah. that is actually how it played out. Right. It was just like, um, damn. And yeah. Uh, be, being like the Guinea pig too, while this stuff is going on where it's like, he, he doesn't tell me all of this stuff, like from the get, I don't think he ever just like sat down and told people or whatever. It was just like a thing that we eventually figured out. But like, I mean, fun, fun little anecdote uh, to compare like our narratives or whatever. Uh, my first day in the office, I have not seen the file for cons. I'm told like what the set is about or whatever, but that's it. Right. And they, they put me in a draft. So I have to read all of the cards and uh, I end up drafting a two color deck. I think I, I go two and one and uh, you know, obviously lose to a three color deck because everyone's drafting three color decks, but like someone pulls me aside and is like, you know, why, why were you only two colors? And I was like, well, I like saw the third color cards, but like none of it was enticing enough to like go into and splash for. And the on color cards that I was seeing were good enough that I was happy to take like a two mana fight with upside over a random ETP tap land over the chance that I, you know, pick up some, uh, random like red card to splash in my blue green deck or whatever because like so far the teamer cards I had seen were like not that impressive uh, so them getting that insight from someone with like fresh eyes who's you know 
competent at competitive magic or whatever it was valuable for them and especially when i started building decks like i was building a lot of monocolored decks because the three color stuff was not enticing enough so a lot of that stuff had to get powered up and like some of that stuff happened as a result of like me being there and being fresh eyes yeah and i think like um and a lot of the times like you've talked about your time at wizards you may be like a little pessimistic on it but like that stuff like pretty clearly obviously valuable to how those things played out valuable but it didn't have to do with me or like me being skilled in game design or anything in that regard you know uh, somewhat i mean so okay so you get out of there uh you can talk about your reasons for that or not that's kind of up to you um but my understanding was you you wanted to play in some tournaments again at least partially i i uh, did but i i would have stayed had the scenario been different basically uh before I went to Wizards, I started playing this game called Kaijudo, which was rebooted Dual Masters, which was uh, another game that Wizards was making. And yeah. so I get into Wizards, I'm working on Magic, and I'm just like, hey, I'd kind of like to, you know, spend a small percentage of my bandwidth on Kaijudo if they would have me. They ended up liking me a lot. I went from like, you know, 5% of my bandwidth to 15% to like, it came time to renew my contract after six months. And, uh, Based on a lot of things, uh, <laughs> it it seemed like, you know, people were talking to each other uh, based on, like, second-hand knowledge of what they had heard from people who had worked with me. And, like, the people who had not worked with me came to the decision of, like, oh, well, like, he's not very good at this, you know, based on the things that we've heard or whatever through this game of telephone. Right. So they're like... Well, the Kaijudo people like them for some reason, so like let's just have them work on fifty percent Kaijudo, fifty percent magic or whatever. And I don't know. I th I think a lot of it was like, you know, uh, he is strong at this stuff and weak at this stuff, and people heard the like weak, weak, weak stuff. Maybe that got like over, uh, over amplified via the game of telephone or something. I don't know, but whatever. Like. I took a day to think about it and was just like, yeah, I didn't come here to work on Kaijudo, basically. Like, I want to work on Magic or Bust. And so I, I told them that I was just done after my six months, and they were very surprised. Like, they just assumed that, like, this is the dream job for everyone. Like, we can we can tell them whatever, and, right. like, they'll just stay here. You know, it's like, go work in a closet and eat garbage, and, like, we're cutting your pay. And I'll just be like, yes, sir. Th thank you, sir, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think that maybe ended up being a good thing for them too, like a wake up call where it's like, Oh, people can actually say no to us. Like, you know, like they might actually want yeah. to say no to us. Yeah. I mean, like, I think there's definitely like some interesting things going on in there. Like I played, I played dual masters back in the day. Uh, I've always known you as like someone to play other games. Um, which, which is like, which is funny because whenever people ask me to like try something new i'm like no nah, i hate games and then i go back to like <laughs> playing a game on my phone or whatever so people are just like uh what um huh what i don't uh, understand uh, yeah all right shadow verse player yeah uh, shadow verse was tight until it wasn't but yeah i mean i i like the things that i like and that umbrella is much smaller than the average person's i think yeah, but I do think it's interesting, like, you know, you've played other card games before. Uh, you, you've played, like, uh, like RPGs, stuff like that. I do think you have, like, 
a good background in games, even if maybe like you wouldn't describe yourself as like a, a, like a board gamer, maybe in that way. Uh, like for me, my family, like all played board games growing up. Like I spent a lot of time in card shops as like a little kid. Cause like my mom was into comics. So I would like go to the comic store and buy Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Uh, when I was like 10, it was like the card game boom. So I was very much like the target audience for that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's like as true for you, but I definitely think of you as like someone who's has like a wide range of experience in this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I played some games as a kid, but uh, people were not really competitive, and yeah. I I wanted to be, but we never played enough to the point where like I could get good at the thing. So yeah, and there were also just you know I didn't have the internet, so it wasn't like there were resources like. Yeah. When when I lived in Roanoke and it was like we we had like the the gang of folks where it's like Brad and Todd and Tom Ross and Majors and like you know we're hanging out like multiple nights per week just people eventually getting to weird stuff where uh, Todd and Tom started going to like weekly Mortal Kombat nights at some dive <laughs> yeah. bar or whatever you know so it's like they played hell of Mortal Kombat for like three months or something and uh, at some point. Uh, I think it was also at the same bar where it's just like they just had uh, Connect Four for people to play or whatever, and so Tom would just challenge people to Connect Four, and <laughs> at some point like broke the game. He was like, "I think that's such a Tom Ross yeah, thing to do." Yeah. Uh, so for as much as like me being a gamer or whatever, like Tom Ross is the gamer, but uh, Tom Ross was like, "Oh, I, th- I think I broke it. I think I figured out that <laughs> if the player goes first the worst that they can do is draw if they play in a certain way. And then he he just like goes through like all these scenarios in his head or whatever, and then goes online. And it's like, yeah, obviously there's just been like this 80 page manual on connect four that has existed for 20 years or whatever that like, <laughs> you know, Tom just came up on his own in like 15 minutes after playing the game or whatever, which is awesome. Would it, would it shock you to know that I, didn't go quite that deep on connect four, but like I was maybe 80% of the way there at one point. I, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like, Oh, if I go first, I will never lose. Yeah. Like me, I don't draw it worse, but like whatever. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, these, these fads like come and go, people will try new things. And like, uh, I've certainly bounced off a bunch of things, but like if a thing resonates with me to some degree, like it just, it hits all those notes. It's just like, it's, like me playing magic online in 2002 just it's the only thing that i want to be doing because it's just so fascinating and so rewarding to me you know it just gives me all the good brain chemicals yeah i think i can be a similar way with games where it's like when i really want to i'm like all all the way in all the way in. yeah and just spending two hours to learn a board game that i'm gonna play once i i'd rather just sit in the corner and do anything else like y'all can play your game. I hope you have fun. I truly do, but I'm not going to be part of it. Yeah. I think if anything, I may be a little bit better at like turning that off than you where like I can sit down and like play the board game and play it like 85% and be okay with it. Yeah. I, I could uh, do that. I just choose not to. I just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I value more like the social experience of being there and doing that like with people as opposed to like the actual game part. It's like that's just a side thing going on. The secret is that you can you can do both because I I would 
you know, I say I'd sit in the corner, but it wouldn't be that far away. And it's like, I could still hear their entire conversation. I could chime in, you know, like, yeah, I would still be doing the social aspect of it. I would just not be participating in the part that I very strongly dislike. Makes sense. Uh, We've been going for a bit. Uh, I have some more stuff here. Like, you know, uh, you come back, like, I think first PT back was Magic Origins. Yep. Which you X5. Yeah. Uh, um yeah. You have a bunch of GP uh top 32s uh, in the next like few months. GP's got harder. Um they got more people. Uh I I think the majority of my Grand Prix top 8s if you go back and look, I'd probably top 8 it at X and 3 and I think a lot of those top 32s were also X and 3 records. You have a ton of X and 3s. Yep. In like the next couple of years, uh, yeah. Well, which I mean, th- that's a good GP performance. It is good. Like, it's just really frustrating. Um, and then yeah. it's like, oh, my first thought was like, oh, if this was in 2006, I'd be in top eight. And then my next thought is, I if like these tournaments existed in 2006, I would have no top eights, right? And I'm just like, oh, okay, I, <laughs> I actually just still suck. That's that's the thing that I should take away here. I mean. I feel like this stretch is you like really actually like trying pretty hard to to kill it in like for the next couple of years. I, I went through a breakup at the end of 2015 and I spent the entirety, uh, not the entirety, but like the first three quarters of the year just focusing on magic and going as hard as I ever have been. And I traveled almost every single weekend and I cashed 90% of those weekends. Yeah, and, like, in 2016, like, early 2016, you've got, like, Eldrazi winner, and you're, like, back in a GP top eight, because deck's broken. Uh, you have, like, a Legacy Open finals in, <laughs> with Eldrazi when nobody was playing that deck in Legacy. Uh, I was thinking about that tournament the other day. I just, I drove up with Tom Ross, just me and him. I don't remember why no one else was with us or whatever, but it was just me and him playing vastly different decks uh both of us are introverts him maybe a little bit more so than me um so we didn't say a whole lot of words to each other like on the car ride or even like hanging out at the event or anything it was just like go outside say hi on on smoke breaks you know very few words exchanged between us but just like we we both did really well and like that that sense of like you know, camaraderie and kind of like partnership that I felt through like that weekend was very intense despite us just not really talking that much. Yeah, you guys both top eight yeah. that tournament. And he scooped to me in the legacy one too. Yeah. Um so I think the next place I want to pick up is where I start to like I'm like in magic at this point. Uh and Hi, welcome. Yeah, uh, and you start like a podcast, uh, the the Gam podcast in May of 2016, yep. uh, and this is basically right after Green White Tokens. Uh, I remember like one of your first episodes is like, yeah, we're just gonna break down Green White Tokens, uh, what? just like you, Majors and Andrew. Which is so funny because I think you capture the apprehension that we had. When in hindsight, that is just 
explicitly the only thing that we should have been doing, you know? This is like, I was so green as far as content creation, podcast creation, whatever. Yeah, it. I mean, like, I think at the beginning, the draw was that, like, you have two Platinum Pros and a Gold Pro just talking about Constructed. Just had to throw uh, in that I wasn't Platinum there, huh? I just couldn't hack it. Hey, hey, I mean, you said it yourself on the podcast. I think you made a point to mention it every episode, that you were Gold. <laughs> yeah, but that's... That's like a self-defense mechanism, right? No, I know what you mean. It's, it's like, like if okay. I don't say it, then people are going to point it out. And then, you know, it's it's like, okay, if I say it, but it's not okay if you say it, that kind of thing. Okay, F- fair enough. I, I was going to point out that uh, you broke green-white tokens. Uh, you, like, won a Star City event, I'm pretty sure. Or top, win or top eight? You had the, you had the sideboard tech which was sideboarding into like the bigger Linvala deck. Yeah. Um, that was definitely a, a collaboration between me and majors. It was like, yeah, t- testing for that, that PT is like a whole story and like having that green white deck, but like it missing some pieces and like majors coming up with half and then me filling in the gaps and just like creating an absolute monster. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I remember when this deck was like the thing and it was, uh, it was a beating. Uh, I mean, people were playing some bad decks around that time. Like, uh, people were playing, like, the Seasons Pass control deck. It was it was very Cobblade-esque in a lot of ways. And it, it's weird to say that about, like, a, a green-white, very much creature-based deck or whatever. But it is just exactly what it was. It was, like, so much card advantage and, like, incidental pressure and attacking people from a bunch of different angles and having incredible sideboard plans that people were not equipped to deal with. And like, if they focus too much on one thing, you just annihilate them with the other thing, you know, it was perfect deck. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about the consecrated Sphinx. I think like Linvala is doing a lot of similar stuff. The like, I'm going to side into planner outburst and just like, yeah, you just have so many plans of attack basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, majors was definitely the one who, advocated for hangerback walker testing for pt origins and Mm -hmm. outside of specifically the blue red like shrapnel blast decks like in soul artifact decks i don't think there were many hangerback walkers and then we tried it in a bunch of stuff like he was playing like blue black control on the way to the pro tour like after we spent our two weeks testing i was talking to bbd i was like i'm pretty sure abs and aggro with hangerback walker would just be the goat you know and We, we tried some lists or whatever, but didn't ever, uh, you know, like register it or whatever. We just, I, I ended up playing Devotion. I think he might have too, but, you know, like our, our Devotion yeah. list was solid, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you uh, we mentioned you on X5 with Devotion. Yeah, so. and then you know, good run. fast forward a, a couple weeks later and it's just like Hangerback Walkers and literally everything. And that's just majors, right? Yeah. And then yeah, uh, there was a Grand Prix... Oh, where was this Grand Prix? It was like Jersey, I want to say, that Majors top aided. And this is like Majors in classic Majors form where it's like he kind of cares, but like doesn't want to care, you know? So he'll show up <laughs> with like 57 cards and like, you know, 53 sleeves or whatever. And it's just, he's just like, ah, figure this out, you know, like <laughs> help me get my missing cards. And like, Oh, I'm, I'm missing a planes or whatever. We have to go scrounge for that. in the, the draft box, you know, just like pretty clearly phoning it in, but also just can't not have the good ideas. 
So he yeah. was doing the the Evo Leap stuff in green white tokens and like was basically looking forward to being able to drop so that he could go drink or whatever, but then just like keeps winning, you know. Yeah. It's like probably the story of the the mill GP that he won. Yeah, uh I want that so that was my first GP. Uh I played Abzan Agro. Uh me and my testing group were all like, are we supposed to play Hangerback Walker in this deck? Uh, before the tournament. We decided not to. Like a week after that tournament, Abzan Agro with four Hangerback Walker is like the best deck. Yep. Was the best deck for like three months. Uh yeah, so Majors, yeah, so he works on uh on Green White Tokens with you. And then the other one that I think of around this time is uh Death Shadow in Modern. Mm, yeah. Uh so you got like the four Tarfire Death Shadow aggro uh list, I think. How how many people top eight at that GP with Death Shadow? Uh it was uh, me, Raptor, Sam Black, and then I think Severa and Ochoa were the only other people to play it, and I think they both top thirty two'd. Uh, yeah, Severa's like top sixteen. Uh, yeah. So we definitely weren't playing four Pretty... Tarfire. I will say that it was probably three, but that was still way too many. Uh, I'm looking at your deck list. Four Tarfire. No three way. Fatal push. No way. That that's yeah. that's a cancelable offense. I should have my deck building license revoked. I'm shipping oh you my the God. link. I remember uh, not being able to find these two. Oh my god, there are four tar fires. Three fatal push and four tar fire. God, <laughs> god, that's painful. Oh no, this is uh, another deck that just kind of broke the format. Yeah this uh, this was doing well on Magic Online. Um, uh, uh, you know maybe more like rudimentary version of this i guess and i think that yeah. between like me raptor sandblack is kind of like the perfect trifecta because we all have our own string of bullshit but we can all keep it tight in in certain circumstances too and mm-hmm. i think each of us is pretty good at figuring out when the other person is on to something good and then it, like we see like a piece of it and become interested and it's like okay well now we're all working on this thing right uh, so yeah, I think up until this point, the Death Shadow decks were like the aggro decks. They were like Death Shadow Zoo mostly. No, they were. There was one person who was doing this sort of thing, uh, and then we we just kind of tightened it up. I think they added the white to the sideboard, which was like supposed to be this like aha, you know, gotcha yeah, like sideboard thing. Ranger of Eos for two Death Shadows. Yeah, which is nonsense, but whatever. Like we we just went with it, and I I remember uh, like we we had our team Facebook group and. I was like going through moto lists and uh, I I was like, yeah, I think I want to play the shadow deck. I think I would make like these kind of changes like, oh, yeah, I should go check what like if anyone on the team said what they're playing or whatever, because normally we we just do whatever we want during Grand Prix, you know, and go to the Facebook group and Sam Black uh, a day or two earlier was like, look, I know that uh (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I play a lot of bad decks or whatever, but I would hope that when I say something is legitimately good, y'all will pay attention. I think this deck is legitimately good. And we we did all pay attention because what Sam was saying is true. It was like he has never cried wolf in a sense. Um, mm, yeah. It normally, is like he's building a deck. We're like super interested. Like, oh, Sam, what are you working on? He's like, no, please don't look. It's hideous. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
uh, as someone who mostly uh, builds a bunch of trash uh, and has occasionally maybe cried wolf, I really try to believe it when I when I actually like present it right to people. Yeah, and you try to be able to like convey that too. And and Sam cashed in like his one time. He's like, look, you know, th- this is it. This is the one time. Please, please believe. And then uh raptor's like yeah i don't know this seems like something i'd play whatever and i was like i was already gonna play this and you're already like building a coherent sideboard so i'm in you know and then yeah we're all like boarding our flights at various times and like you know updating the facebook group with like changes that we've made and i I don't know if we all played the same 75 but it was pretty close and i i distinctly remember like where am i gonna get like a tar fire or whatever because i could only find a couple or something so yeah, the lists are all like a little bit different. Um, I, I and I remember the major's contribution was mostly in like the coming months shifting it to Grixis. Yeah, uh, he he just made like an off the cuff remark like, "Why isn't this deck just Grixis?" Uh, there there was an open the next weekend. This is another instance where like very easily crush this tournament, get home, book a flight to this random open on the East Coast. Um, when I was, I think I was living back in no where. When was this? This is 2017. Yeah, okay. So I was back in Seattle at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I went back home, booked booked a flight to some random-ass open when I was not, like, chasing points or anything. And I was just, like, so confident. And Majors, I think, was still in Roanoke, so he was, like, just driving to all the opens and stuff. And we get there, and he's like, why isn't this deck just Grixis? And I was like, yeah, Tarmogoyf kind of sucks, you know? It's like Stubborn Dial rules, right? And I think people at this point... Yeah, that, that was... I think the big one. Yeah, people were like maybe splashing some stubborn denials or whatever. Uh, So I don't know. He and I talked about it. We kind of sketched it out. And then he streamed it a little bit in the following weeks. And it just kind of, you know, took off from there. Yeah. Yeah, just... Uh, I remember like when I was getting into modern, Grixis Shadow was like the the deck. Uh, It was just like... I think not until like humans comes along does that deck really like even start to fall off. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. yeah, owned like the modern format for a solid, like at least six months. Yeah. And again, just off the cuff, uh, majors insight that he's, he very rarely follows through on. He'll just like make some observation and just be like, yeah, everyone's doing it wrong. And then just like continue doing <laughs> whatever he was doing. Uh, and yeah, sometimes he needs like the push, like with, with green, white, he was like, okay, yeah, like I, I'll actually play in this tournament i will continue to play because i have not yet received my third loss um but it is very possible that he could have gotten his third loss dropped and then like no one plays green white for the rest of that format like how how absurd would that have been right so i think the next like couple events you're kind of at like the peak of your powers i would say at least in terms of results tell me more so First of all, you win the fucking Pro Tour with Zombies. Oh, yeah. That was three months later. Yeah. Um, so that deck, the card that I want to talk about in that deck is actually in the sideboard. Uh, you have Aethersphere Harvester. Okay. Uh, I don't think many people, or if any, like played this card in the sideboard. And this is another case of, like, I think you, like, you've talked about respecting the lowest common denominator having cards for aggro, things like that. But, like, can you talk about, like, what that card's doing yeah. in the deck? Yeah, uh, Mardu Vehicles and, uh, to some extent, the Green-Black Constrictor decks. Like, 
the snake decks can obviously go over the top of it, but if you are able to break up those synergies, which you kind of have to do to be able to win anyway, then Harvester sort of dominates the battlefield, and it's a lot of the same stuff happening uh, against Mario vehicles too, where in those matchups, like you just lose the flyers. That's all it is. Yeah. And occasionally the games are about like racing or whatever too, but like flyers are a big part of that. And Harvester, even with no other sources of energy outside of themselves, it's not like you need to activate it every single turn, right? It's just like, yeah. give me the six life, give me the three, five flyer. I have enough crappy bodies that I'm able to crew this thing. A lot of my stuff like ETB tapped or like doesn't block or whatever. So you're not yeah. a deck that's great at blocking anyway, but normally you, you have a body around to have this thing that can hold off like their three attackers. So, uh, yeah, v- very much just about like outsizing the beatdown decks in in a sense. Yeah, you have another tournament with Aether Sphere Harvester that I want to talk about, but um, there's a few things in between that are pretty sick. Uh, you, I think, broke standard a little bit by catching onto the Oketra's Monument deck for like one weekend. Yeah, uh, that was another uh, sort of like kismet moment where i was at todd's for the invitational staying with him and i'm like looking at deck lists and like i just brought all my standard cards and i was like yeah what, what do you what do you think about playing i'm thinking about playing this monument deck he's like i was thinking about playing the monument deck and it's like <laughs> well either we're both really dumb or really smart we're gonna find out so then me and todd just like got to work tuned the list and yeah it was just busted yeah uh i remember that deck was like very clearly the best deck but then like a new set came out like almost immediately yeah so there was like no opportunity to like take advantage of it. yeah there might there also might not have been a lot of standard events happening at that point for whatever reason yeah yeah um that deck i mean i think cloud blazer is a really interesting <laughs> one because that's something that like stopped being there for decks like that um just like the kind of keeping the wheels moving sort of yes vibe. That's exactly what it is, too. It's just, it's all about velocity and making sure that you don't run out of gas. Yeah, because that deck, I mean, the monument is a ton of explosiveness by itself, by both like making power and reducing costs. So if you can just keep feeding it, like eventually it's going to snowball out of control, basically. Right. So, so it's it just about keeping that engine fueled. I, I think people were in love with Cloud Blazer, but pairing Cloud Blazer with Bygone Bishop. Uh, like we we definitely had more bygone bishops than a lot of people, and it was just more yeah. focused on being able to use your mana every single turn and make sure that you're able to keep deploying things. Yeah, that's another thing that you talk about a lot is just spending your mana every turn in like a mid range deck. And now they just give it to you for free, you know. It's true. You, you yeah. can build a mid range deck quiet. and run out of gas if you tried in the standard format. If it does feel like that. Uh, you also have a uh, U.S. Nationals second place with Team or Energy. Yep. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, me kind of just honing in and playing the good thing. Uh, although, like Monument is yeah. pretty fun for me, but I do think that it was it, like it was doing pretty well on Magic Online. Like it was starting to catch up, catch on Steam. Um, yeah. but. Yeah, zombies at that pro tour, pretty similar to me playing Valakut at that invitational. It was just like, look, this this is just the good thing. And I think there was like a PT where Mono Red was pretty good, where I don't know how well you did, but I know a bunch of people you tested with did great with it. God so. another instance of like me and Sam Black 
uh, finally talking the night before the tournament and just being like, I think Monorid's really good, but people have all these bad cards in their deck because the Moto version was like, you know, 20 land, two Hazrets or whatever. And they had some crappy aura or whatever. And Sam was just like, I keep wanting to add lands and more Hazrets, you know? And it's like all the big teams had done this already. They had already figured it out. But like our team was very... Uh, like disjointed, disorganized, kind of bad, you know? Uh, But Sam and I just sat in his room for a few hours while I watched him play leagues. And it's like, yeah, I hate all these crappy small red cards. And we, can we just make the deck like bigger and bigger, you know? Um, And Sam eventually top eight of that PT. Yeah. His, his deck was heinous. Like he, he will readily admit that (laughs) his deck was heinous. Bell ringer or something like that. Village messenger. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like a lot of cards that people had cut because we had not played for like the extra few days that it would have taken to actually get those out of the deck because we had come to it such at the last minute, you know? Yeah. Uh, getting back to the team or energy list, uh, some more stuff that I think is like very iconic. You, uh, no Aethersphere harvesters, but you did have the, the dinosaur that would like eat stuff out of the graveyard and gain life. Yeah. Uh, Death Gorge scavenger. Oh, God, I hate that card so much, but it was, it was a necessity. <laughs> there, there was like, yeah, there was like uh, some graveyard thing that I was trying to light target. Um, so it wasn't as much of like a, this is an anti red card or whatever, but yeah. Um, you've also got, uh, life crafters, beast cherry as your like, uh, card advantage card in the sideboard. The, uh, I, I don't get like told very often because I think in a lot of instances I'm more knowledgeable than people. And also maybe people are just like a scared, scared to try and talk shit to me or whatever. But I played this feature match against Collins Mullen, who <laughs> was doing well on SCG stuff, but like I had never run into yeah. him before, you know? And I, I win, but like, you know, my deck has like some spell pierces and like some negates or whatever, and like the bestiary. And after the match, he was just like, Oh, I just didn't think you had spell pierce in your deck because you have bestiary and that incentivizes you to play a longer game. So then, why the hell would you have spell pierce in your deck? It just doesn't make any sense. And then he just like picked up his cards and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, Dude, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, man. But I mean, but I mean, second in nationals, you have three spell pierce in your sideboard and two best. Right, three. and he he's correct. So. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, you've also got like some supreme wills. Uh, that card. Yeah, not not a good that card. I think not a good card. Better than the, I don't know, the Dingus Gorger, whatever his name is. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of control in that event. Like approach the second sun decks. Yeah. Uh, so maybe a response to that a little bit. No, it it was like I wanted more counter spells, but I also didn't want a fistful of reactive cards because, uh, you know, certainly like they they did have the spell pure sort of problem when we were talking about playing against decks like approach. Like the games are going long to the point where those cards go dead at some point. So I wanted something that could like maybe be converted, but I think it was a thing where I couldn't just play negate because I needed it to also maybe counter gear Hulk against blue black. Yeah. And disdainful uh, stroke wasn't legal. So. Yep. Yep. But I mean, a case of where like being flexible, uh, pays off for you. Yeah. And Supreme will was awesome. Playing more counter spells was awesome. Yeah. Uh, next deck I want to talk about is Marty pyromancer. 
decent deck. This one is a Jerry T special. You might have been practically the only person in the event playing this deck. That's not true because uh, I was two and two in a league with Mario Pyromancer, so I was kind of on the deck already. But uh, Thursday, day of registration and like deck submission is that night at midnight or something, so I still have some time. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to play. Like, I'm not locked into anything, but, like, clearly I'm trying Mardu, but it's not it's not going super great, you know? Yeah. And I run into Mattia Rizzi. Uh, yeah. Stream sometimes on Twitch, uh, underscore TN93 on Moto. So maybe there's, like, yeah. another underscore in there or something. Always but, in a 5 Yeah. Like a 5 yeah. deck, basically. Uh, awesome. Awesome player. Um, Like scary player too like tight tight aggressive like the type of person that you you don't want to play against because they are just gonna you know give you no quarter uh yeah and occasionally not not like uh matia is bad at this or anything but just like sometimes there is just like this breakthrough thing that he has like i think he always has like something a little bit different in his decks but sometimes it's just a thing that is like completely brilliant and I don't know. I just ran into him. We we're chatting uh, pretty loose as far as like, oh, you know, team secrets, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, what are you playing? And he was like, uh, you know, Mardu Pyromancer, like, you know, not super happy about it or whatever. And I was like, ooh, Mattia, like, give me your deck <laughs> list. I want to see. Like, I know you got some spice, you know. And he did. Like, it, it was one of those instances of like deck that is okay, but smart person has tuned it very well and then i add on some finishing touches and it ends up being yeah. awesome uh i think like the version that was on moto at that point was still playing like monastery swift yeah Spear. two swift spears yeah uh you cleaned it up a lot it seems like yeah most most of that was matia so matia was yeah. uh no swift spears two liliana's main deck uh i i believe like some blood moons main deck which was like stock but it was just an overall like focusing of the deck where it's like maybe an extra one mana removal spell, an extra one mana discard, uh, not playing yeah. the dingus swift spears and just focusing on having a one drop, uh, you know, building towards Bedlam Reveler, but understanding that if that doesn't come together for whatever reason, then your deck kind of stinks. So maybe you need a little bit more power level somewhere else, which he was getting with Blood Moon and Liliana. And then yeah. my take was going through the sideboard and, it, you know, just in a lot of instances, you focus so much on getting the main deck right where the sideboard kind of comes secondary or whatever. Uh, so you you're, don't have as much time to think about and plan for how you want to approach matchups and stuff. And when I was building out a matchup matrix, I was just like, I want I want two wear and tears. And he's like, wear and tear? Like, why? What What <laughs> deck in modern could you possibly want a wear and tear against? And I was just like, man, I don't know. It's like, you know, ad nauseum. And I, I just list off like, you know, these 15th most popular decks in the format or whatever. And it's like, you know, like Leyline of Sanctity can kind of screw you. Like if someone has like Leyline of the Void, and he's like, people don't play those cards. They don't play those cards. And I was like, Mattia, like it's, it's a pro tour. It's modern. It's, you know, it's relatively wide open. Like, yeah, people are going to play humans, right? We know that. Yeah. But what are the next people going to play? Like, we don't know. And what, what are people going to play to beat humans? Like, we don't know. So I think just having overall, like, a good catch-all, you know, like, more answers to, like, Chalice and, like, 
Lantern and, and the random stuff is going to help us because people are just going to play a bunch of random shit. We are playing Mardu Pyromancer, right? Like we yeah. are in the crowd of people <laughs> playing random shit. And he was just like, no, no, I, I, I will not play Wear Terror. I will not play it. Whatever. Uh, so my Wear Terrors came in in like four of my 10 Swiss rounds or something and like blew up Leyline of Sanctities against Ad Nauseam and stuff like that. And it's, it, it very much covered me against random stuff. I played against two Eldrazi Tron decks that had chalices, which obviously yeah. were much happier to like kill that thing on turn two than on turn three with a K command or whatever. And uh, Mattia did not do very well because he kept losing to ley lines, various ley lines, ley line of the void, ley line yeah. of sanctity, just from these random ass decks. And I'm just like, see, you know? Well, and you look at like the top 16 of this event, there's an Eldrazi Tron, there's two Lantern Controls, including, including the deck you lost to in the yeah. finals. Uh, there's, you know, a Madcap Experiment for Platinum Empyrean deck yep. in the top 16. Um, yeah, it just comes up. I, yeah, and I, I'm not saying that you should do that every single time. It, it, But a thing that I generally do is try to cover my bases if the opportunity cost is low. And yeah. in this instance, it was like, I could see myself bringing in one wear and tear against humans uh, if they had, like, rest in peace or whatever, you know? And yeah. uh think, was it open deck lists? I don't remember. I don't think it was. I, but... don't, I don't think it was at this point. No, it wasn't. But, like, I, I think for, like, you know, maybe it was like, oh, you know, they all had, like, two rest in peace or something. And so yeah. you would know certainly by game three, probably if they had it. So, you know, there, there are things like that where like, it's not that bad. And I think that like Lantern is better than a lot of people think. And like, you know, Canister's qualified. So he's playing it for sure. And like, maybe yeah. uh, if a team ends up playing Lantern, it's like, you don't want to just have like nothing for them. Yeah. So some, by the way, yeah. I, I found at least a third person who played Marty Pyromancer and the top 64. Yeah. Kenji Samura. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Okay, so I, I think there were like seven or eight total in the tournament. And Kenji is another person who I would run into uh, like the day before at tournaments. And we'd like, you know, share our deck list with each other. And there was a string of like five or six Pro Tours in a row where we all played. We just played the same deck every time. <laughs> and it was like, why are we not working together? Because like he wasn't team affiliated. I wasn't really team affiliated, you know. So like. In this instance, <laughs> I, I don't think we saw each other, but we sat down next to each other uh, after the, the draft rounds, I think. And it was like, we both draw our opening hands and like, we're so excited to look over at the other one's <laughs> opening hand to see what they're playing. And it was just yeah. like, we, we see that we're both playing Mardu and it's just like, ah, we did it again, you know? <laughs> did it again. But uh, Kenji is awesome, and I miss him dearly. He stayed at my house for one of the moxes that was in Seattle, and he was like, can I bring my friend along? I had never met him before, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, anyone who is your friend is my friend, you know? And it was one of the funnest weeks I've ever had in my life. I love Kenji. Yeah, one of, one of, the, one of the best. Yes. So that's, I mean... That's kind of where things, I mean, taper off a little bit. I think you broke uh, humans a little bit briefly in Modern or whatever. Uh, maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. I don't know. I remember liking the, your deck list at one point. Yeah, I think it, like, I think it was... Braid Elf. Yeah. Oh, no. That one was terrible. That one was absolutely awful. <laughs> um, I, I think after that, there were a lot of me 
solidifying decks but maybe not like breaking stuff and i think the times when i did break formats i was not like playing a ton so it just like didn't catch on anyway so who cares but yeah uh i mean you know uh definitely like i think we have covered a lot of like the the classic jerry t things that have occurred over the years uh-huh <laughs> at least in terms of like public facing stuff yeah um and just like i don't know i think it's really cool that there are like some themes that run all the way through it's like play a couple five or six drops to cover for certain situations be flexible uh play some cheap removal uh have some in your 75 at least uh yeah i mean yeah a, a lot of this ends up coming up repeatedly over the tournaments that i do well in but Part of that is because I'm playing the same song every tournament and occasionally it's good, you know, like Broken Clock is right twice a day or whatever. And we're not really talking about the tournaments that I got hammered where I was doing the same stuff and it was <laughs> wrong, but that's okay. You know, again, like still, still working through a lot of the kinks or whatever, but uh, I think, or I hope at least that people can see my deck selection I took a little bit more seriously after my time at Wizards because I don't know there was just this realization of I am probably not going to be able to get to like grind events anymore and if that was the case like what what would I have done differently you know and it's like yeah I I just like splashed around a bunch when I, I was doing it because I needed the the week to week to be fun in order to be bearable, you know, but like I also thought it would go on forever. So now that I know that it is finite, how how do I treat it any differently? And the answer to that is I, you know, get the BS out of my system online and then actually tighten tighten up the deck selection process and play things that legitimately have a chance of winning the tournament when I actually do play in a tournament. Yeah, and I mean bears out in the results yeah and i mean winning is fun too you know but like did i have like a great time playing green devotion or teamer <laughs> energy or zombies or what like zombies was kind of fun but that was that was just crit breaker and nothing else um but yeah you know like some of it is just like not all that enjoyable but if you get to cash a check at the end of the day you know and then it's memorable enough for people to like believe in you and buy the cards and for them to you know go on to like win their pptq or whatever like i had a friend of mine basically play zombies uh after the pro tour and like win a gp you know and it was like a long time coming for him steep lock yeah and tricked him into playing magic for a few more years haha got his ass <laughs> i mean and I think, like, at the end of the day, like, that's why we're sitting down and having this conversation is, like, people were really, like, they believed in you. Like, you, like, proved it. You're like, hey, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I can dial it in. Uh, and you did. Yeah. And, for, like, for a long time, it was. It helped out a lot of people. For a long time, it was do as I say, not as I do, you know? But. <laughs> Then it got to a point where people were actually like, actually, I would like to see your deck list before the Pro Tour, when before people would like pay me to not potentially have <laughs> my nonsense, like brainworm them. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, I attribute a lot of, like, my magic growth and, like, a lot of the, you know, we've had people in the Discord uh, top eight the fucking Pro Tour recently. And, like, I don't know. I don't know how much credit you can claim for it, but I'm giving you some of it in this moment. I mean, if you're talking about, like, Kane, literal zero. Oh, Kane, Kane's the best. I mean, he, he had it, like, coming in. Kane Kane was going to succeed no matter what. It was it was just a matter of whether or not Kane wanted to, you know, keep trying or whatever. One of the Discord people were like every time they posted it was like, "Oh, yeah, Kane's right." Yeah. <laughs> and just like reliably. Yeah. It just nuts. Yeah. All right. Uh we've been talking for a couple hours. I think I think I'm going to call it. Uh this has been dope. Agreed. Uh, you know, maybe I'll have you on again sometime. We can talk about some of the decks that didn't get there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you were there for, uh, maybe it was like one of the discord streams or something, uh, where Matt did this and like went through a bunch of like old deck lists and some of them were the bad ones. And it was just like, what were you thinking? <laughs> and that was rad. I had so much fun with that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, scrounge out some of those sometime. Yep. All right. Well, Dip, thanks for thanks for talking. I'm not going to do any shout-outs or plugs or anything because everything's still up in the air. But uh, yeah. Great. This is great. Yeah, works for me. I had fun. All right. Yeah. Sick. All right. Uh, I'm going to go eat dinner. <laughs>